you're the coolest guy in the world. Let's let's maybe chill out on the bad comments. It it's been weird for me to like watch this and watch it like through different eyes, essentially, uh-huh. and realize that like high eyes, stoned eyes. Well, or not just no, no, not eyes? only well, yeah, that, but also like an like watching it as an adult where you have some comprehension of like age. Mm-hmm. Like, cause as you're you know watching this, okay, so I mean, might as well not beat around the bush about it. Yeah, because we'll leave the bush beating to James. There's Bond. a lot of bush beating, ton of bush that beating. gets gets. This happened in the '70s, the height of Bush. Bond was in there like a goddamn uh, raccoon, just hiding in the bush. It's like the wilderness must be explored. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be talking Bond today, James Bond. First of all, that guitar riff, regardless if you've seen it or not, you know that's the James Bond yeah. riff. I always, it's always the trumpet, so it's... Yes. And second question, or second comment about that, uh, the opening scenes that they used to have, is that down the rifling of a gun, or is it someone who Bond is shooting at? It's their gun. It's I, the person so that's like... So how does like, the blood come over the top of it? Because the, I don't know, fuck... Because it looks good. Yeah, you can see the rifling in it, so it either yes. looks like a camera. That's why. That's why it's it followed. Camera. That's why it follows him. It's like it's an assassin that's trying to kill Bond unexpectedly, and that that's when he turns and fires, and he kills the guy that was going to kill him. Okay, so it's not like a a spy with a camera, or like no. some sort of a lens that's on him. No, it kind of looks it's like the, the it's lens. The, that it's closes. the right. Well, I mean, here's the thing too. It's supposed to always be the rifling. But prior, it was just a black circle, so it, maybe it was something different. But then later on, they added rifling to where you could actually see it. Bond history is very fun to me because it, I mean, it, it's born out of not necessarily reality, but also not necessarily not reality. Yeah, I mean, it has its inspirations on real things. It's just an exaggerated version of it, but... And I'll be goddamned if he's not the greatest man that ever lived or didn't live. Either or. Hey, he's. I, I say that just mainly based on the feelings that I get watching his action scenes or watching a chase scene. I don't know if there's any movie that can compare to like some of the chase scenes that happen. No. And it's it's weird that they always have... Like there's always a structure. So you always know there's going to be a chase scene in it. Very strict formula. Yes. It's always bang chick... Meet bad well, guy. Well, no, it's first. It's chick. first. He's he's in the he's mid mission. It always starts out in the middle of a mission, and you get that opening scene of him doing like a what like ten or fifteen minute mission, and then it's always I don't know. Sometimes it's related to that mission, and sometimes it's unrelated to the, it. The newer ones was it after Casino Royale when they cut away from um, the. Not MI6, but the the office that they were in that's blown up, and then it cuts to Daniel Craig, like the beginning of the next one, Skyfall or whatever it is, is the smoldering building. 
No, uh, Spectre is the smoldering building. Okay. So Sky Falls when it gets blown up. That's when right. uh, Judy Dench's M's office gets blown up. I just watched that one like two days ago. Um, but yeah, well, here's the thing too, is you never even saw what building they were working out of until you actually got to like the Pierce Brosnan era. Mm-hmm. Like MI6 was all secretive. Did you know that I think MI6... Nobody even knew publicly. They haven't even, hadn't even revealed themselves publicly. Before Bond? Before Bond. I, I want to say I heard that. Was like, it, MI, MI, it was a thing the government knew about. You yeah. know, people within the government knew what MI6 meant, but the public wasn't really aware of it until... And that's just one of the things Ian Fleming got out of it. Do you, Let's just knock out Fleming first, because I okay. feel like once we get into Bond, we're, there, we're not coming back to Ian Fleming. Yeah, I, this is going to be a... I don't want it to be a scatterbrained episode, but Bond just kind of does that to you. It's this watching these movies over again, and I didn't watch all of them. I don't think that I've seen all of them. I know that there's a few that I watched when I was a kid, and was like, "This is bad." Now I can't imagine going back to like Octopussy. Terrible, terrible movie. There, there's just it. There's they're so bad that you almost have to watch them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Moonraker for me. Spoiler alert. Probably my favorite. It's so bad that it's just good. Yeah. It's just like, of course that's going to happen in a Bond movie. It has like every... The thing that Bond movies are not scared of is just to lean into like tried and true tropes. Absurdity. Absurdity. Like the fact that the cover for Moonraker is Bond in like the stereotypical like metallic spacesuit. Like that looks like a goddamn heat blanket. Well, and but he's holding no helmet and he's holding the gun. You're just like, oh shit, Bond's in space. And the great part about that, Bond being in space, we hadn't launched like the space shuttle yet, so nobody knew about what the space shuttle looked like. Okay, so what happened there was, yeah, I, they they got the free look in preview on it. And then yeah, and then the de- and then the shuttle got delayed, but mm-hmm. the movie didn't get delayed. I always wonder about that because when I when I first heard that, I was like, oh shit. I was like, how did they get it so right? And then it came out. I wonder how many people after that happened, when they finally unveiled the space shuttle, they're like, did these motherfuckers just actually base this thing on the Bond movie? <laughs> All right, Ian Fleming. Okay. Yeah. yeah Sir, back, back Sir Ian Fleming. Interesting cat. I, he he kind of always seemed like he failed upwards. I know that he came from a more of a well-to-do class, mm-hmm. and his brother was actually a pretty fairly well-acclaimed filmmaker too and kind of helped him get into some situations that he was in as far as like um jobs uh different schools to get movie or to get books produced he owes a lot to his brother just because i think his brother wrote based on his actually so he was an adventure novelist Mm -hmm. but he wrote actually based on on his adventures so where you have ian fleming who was writing fiction that may take certain character traits from people that he knew or from things that he experienced during World War II. His brother actually was like an adventure novelist to where he would actually go on these adventures, like go up the Amazon. I want to say he wrote like The Lost City of Z. Could have been. Or something like that. It was something along those same lines. Definitely. Um, total adventure novel, but like actually put in the groundwork to like be able to It wasn't write a fiction. Something. It was it was documenting his travels. Oh, his were actually yes. I thought his was fiction no, too. No, and so but. that he was a pretty famous. He was more famous as a writer prior to Ian Fleming writing Bond. Uh, uh, Fleming uh, oddly enough born in 1908, that seems like forever ago for mm-hmm. some things, but I guess for other things not so much. Um 
yeah, right. born in 1908. Um, not a whole lot. He, like I say, grew up in a well-to-do family, so everything was fairly easy for him. There wasn't a whole lot of struggle, anything like that. Once he left college, he kind of floundered and was hoping to land somewhere. He went to a few different colleges, and I believe one of them he got kicked out of for getting gonorrhea from a prostitute. I heard that, yeah. <laughs> Not sure how true that is, but when you realize that So he are you was... getting kicked out because you have gonorrhea, or are you getting kicked out because you had sex with a prostitute? But it gotta be prostitute. I would imagine. Because I think depending on the outcome, it's still, like, illegal and might put a bad name on the university or whatever program. We have a strict no gonorrhea policy. <laughs> <laughs> that was how they checked him to make sure that there was no bad issues that happened over the weekend is they just had to pull their dicks out. Mm-hmm. Uh, May 1939, Fleming gets recruited by a guy named John Godfrey. He was the director of Naval Intelligence, and he brought him in to become a personal assistant. Uh, John Godfrey was one of Fleming's father's friends, mm-hmm. so there was a little bit of, like... Daddy got me the job. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of hand downs. Um, so, 1939, pre-World War II, Naval Intelligence. He's, no, this is World War II. He's, yeah, but pre-World... Oh, I guess they had already started, huh? Yeah, yeah. Remember, we were late to the party. Yeah, that's right. He's in the thick of it in 1939. Um... 1942, he formed something called the Number 30 Commando Unit, and they were tasked with seizing enemy documents. As as the front line would push into areas mm-hmm. in these countries, they were tasked with going into these specific laboratories, Pretty much any facilities. type of like command center that they had. So they would send part of kind of what normal infantry guys' jobs would be. They were doing the fighting, but I mean... If they stumbled upon a command post or something, they were supposed to try to grab some documents and mm-hmm. send runners back from the front. These guys were basically, like you were saying, if they're, I think, were more high, um, not va- well, high value, but also like more sensitive, like places, they would go in to try to to try to do this, um, these probably raids, less gun carrying and more, yeah, and try to get activity. like basically any type of what did they call it when we brought over. The scientist, it was um, intellectual property. Yeah, intellectual reparation. reparation, something like that. So yeah, we were after they were after intellectual property, basically anything that they could gather from these, you know, Nazi places, whatever. So uh, during that time too, I'm trying to think, kind of, because he didn't have like a super exemplary or like um, impressive military career. No, like I, a lot of people didn't like him. Yeah, I was kind of surprised to find that out because he is Sir Ian Fleming's. Like he was knighted. He definitely. I don't think he was knighted for his World War II service. Probably, no, I think he got knighted at some point for being Bond. an author. Yeah. Uh, but March 1944, he was in charge of giving intel to the Royal Navy to prepare for Operation Overlord, and Overlord was the Normandy, right? Yeah. So yeah, Overlord was. What did we do? We did Operation. Uh, Fortitude. Yeah. And then Ghost we did Paperclip. Yes. So that was also in preparation for Overlord, another section of it where, you know, um, misinformation. So I'm not sure exactly what his role was in regards to Overlord, if he was, you know, logistics or planning or, you know, sending ahead specific units. Probably something to do with his commando unit to be like, hey, we need to make sure we're getting into these areas in France and trying to find maps and intel about other German positions in France. Yeah, as he's handing over all that intel to the Royal Navy, he's explaining 
probably where the troops are in relation to the Nazi troops are as far as like where their their highest populations are to try to figure out how to and just like we talked about in the ghost army part of the plan was to make sure that all the troops are you speculating or is this what he really did well i i think ian fleming was a part of the ghost army too oh okay so to think about with operation fortitude that plan was to try to split troops as far as yes was to mislead the germans into fortifying places where they weren't going to attack to try to draw you know support away so I'm sure he was maybe writing scripts as far as not to say that it was scripted, but like the, the game plan yeah, on yeah. the, the British side to say, yeah, you got to craft a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to get these guys here. We're going to attack here. This is what we need to be. So uh, that's a, a fairly high ranking. Uh, I would say an extremely high ranking to be the guy that's giving intelligence to the Royal Navy to prepare for one of the largest operations or the most important operation. I don't know if he operation. was just, I think maybe he was, so you're saying he was in charge of? Like he, he was the advisor that was advising the Royal Navy okay. on the intelligence that was collected. Okay. So could have been advising them as far yeah, as Yeah, I'm sure he Commando was just on, 30. he might have just been on like the British side, not so much for like the entire allies of as far as giving intel, but he obviously had a, a pretty important role. Yeah. After the war, moved into print and media um, he was a part of a newspaper group that allowed him, I think it was three months out of the year for winter, mm-hmm. to go vacation in Jamaica. And aptly named, um, we have the name of one of the greatest, maybe the greatest N64 game ever made. Fantastic movie, as far as it goes. GoldenEye was fantastic, but mm-hmm. his his place in Jamaica, his vacation home was called uh, GoldenEye. Yeah. So that's where the name of the book came from, and then... Eventually, the name of the movie. Uh, he wrote Casino Royale that finally got published in a- or on April thirteenth, nineteen fifty three. So, a decent time after the war. I mean, that's what eight years, eight ish years. Hmm. Uh. Yeah. Maybe a little less. Well, depending on victory over Europe and victory over Japan, they're they're different. Uh, but yeah, it's it's between seven and eight years. They probably had some mop up that he was still in charge of, but that's pretty fast to just spring yourself into I want to know how much fucking money he was making. Well, again, his family was well to do. Yeah, there's a um, good chance that vacation home might have been the family's or his parents. Yeah, to to afford like and to be able to just vacation like Jamaica like halfway around the world like for that 3 months. Um but yeah, as far as when he wrote Casino Royale, that was I want to say they did he turned in the draft and the publisher, actually, it was the same publisher that worked with his brother. The publisher told him no. And then, like, his brother actually pulled some strings hey, and was like, hey, I'm a go- I, I sell well for you guys. I don't know if he's like, please, as a favor, just do this. Well, it ended up being the, the right call because it sold out. How many different? It went through three Three different editions? printings, I think. It sold over 100 million copies. Or the Bond series has sold over 100 million copies. Yeah, I think that one, I'm trying to remember exactly. It was enough of a hit to go ahead and keep going. Yeah, he ended up writing 12 books and two short stories just mm-hmm. based on Bond. He also wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which don't yeah, know for like what his... it is, but I always hear it. You don't know what Chitty Chitty Bang no. Bang is? What is it? So it's like a kid's book. And I remember it more so for the movie, but it was, oh my God, it was like the really, oh, I'm going to have to look this up because I'm trying to remember the name of the 
actor. He's played in, he was famous for playing in like a TV show. Let's see, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Alan Aldis. Nope, not Alan. No, it was old. Dick Van Dyke. Really? So, yep. Uh, DVD? Yeah. So basically it's huh. about like this, the car is called Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And it's this like magical car that has like wings and can fly and it looks like an old, I mean, you can see it. It's like an old like Model T or like an English version of like the Model T. So but, is that like the English version of Herbie the Love Bug? It was Could have been that. the inspiration like, for Herbie. Ace Ventura when Nature Calls where he's like, oh, you pretty chitty bang bang, chitty chitty bang bang, we love you. He's singing the song that they sing. Oh, the that's a song in there? Yeah. Okay. It's kind of like, think of it like a a car version of Mary Poppins, like that on that level for like British movies. Okay. But I think be he, a big hit then. Well, he wrote it for I want to say like his kid or his nephew or something or niece. <laughs> he wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang for a niece or nephew, and then he wrote James Bond for his brother. <laughs> <laughs> for every everybody, for every man <laughs> on the planet. Well, have you ever read one of the Bond books? I have not read one of the Ian Fleming books, but I read a Bond novel. I'm trying to remember. I went through the authors that did it. It was one of the more recent guys, but it was a very Casino Royale-ish in the sense of like it was at Bond, like almost at that stage of his career where he's still very early on. Um, And it was more of that tone of like very like – it wasn't like gadgety and all that kind of stuff. Mm. It was more like he's an assassin, he's a soldier, that that kind of stuff. So it it was good. I mean they definitely – I think each author, aside from – Ian Fleming, of course, brings something different to the character. But yeah, I mean, that's one of those things where, like, you getting, like, the ability to write a James Bond book is just something that, like, you have to be picked for that. Yeah. Do that. It's not like you can just write a, char- a book with the character of James Bond and be like, yeah, that's cool. Like, you have to have approval. So they, you already have to have uh, some great credits to your name to, to be able to do that, I think. I, I don't know what it means as far as for me, but... Looking at the list of authors, I I didn't recognize anything. I mean, I no, they're they're not like authors that you're going to actually recognize that have written other works. There's people I think that primarily exist within like fiction writing that will write for like video game franchises and all that kind of stuff. Uh, okay, yeah. That so makes sense. yeah, like there's a couple Role authors that write a lot of Star like Wars that. stuff, but then also have written for like Gears of War and like other video game franchises. But yeah, 12 books in all and uh, two short stories. I don't – were all of them adapted for movies? I think all of them have been. And, and I think Casino Royale twice. Once um, as a TV show and then the plot was – I mean it was similar but I mean nowhere near as movie-ish. I think it was a TV series, like a short-lived TV series. Yeah, we got to put a pin in that because I do want to talk about that at the end as far as what you would like to see done with Bond or the things you don't want to see. Going forward? Yeah, I don't ever want to see a series. Okay, we'll get to that. Yeah. Like, I'm going to, because I'll get fixated on that for the pros and cons of that. So he ends up writing, and every time he goes to um, Goldeneye, this is when he's writing his books in the three three month span that he keeps going down, um, yeah, to Goldeneye to write these. So the first, are we getting into the actual Bond bio now? Yeah, I think the nice thing about Bond being a fictional character is this is all history, technically. But you can kind of jump into like the fantasy of his 
father and mother mm-hmm. and being an orphan child and all that. But then there's still snippets of reality, like how he got his name, where 007 yeah. came from, those different things like that. It's like you you can mix in reality with mm-hmm. the fantasy that create or the, the reality that created the fantasy. Yeah, basically. and I mean the the character of Bond and and his history and biography just seems like it's kind of a mishmash of different choices that Fleming made based upon people that he saw and wish fulfillment and this kind of stuff. Like apparently like a lot of Bond's like culinary and like drink choices and habits are based off like Fleming. And then Fleming had shit taste in, um, Oh yeah. It was like horribly bland shit. Yeah. And everything. Good. Um, and his, his martinis. Shaken, not stirred. They, they changed that a lot. Completely fucks that. They up. changed that a lot for also like they changed that aspect of Bond a lot for once they put him in movies. But like as far as like Bond in the books, he's very like bare bones about stuff. Oh well, and you don't really need a catchphrase in a book. No, I mean you still have them, but so the character of James Bond, born um, from a Scottish father and a Swiss mother, I want to say his father was like uh, worked in like. The railroad industry. He was. They were richer. Do you know why his father is Scottish? His father is Scottish because Fleming ended up liking Connery so much that he had to kind of retool yep. the backstory to explain why why he had a Scottish accent. He adapted James Bond's father just to get Connery to sign off on being Bond. How cool is that? To, I think he did it after he saw him. I, but that's what I mean. Like yeah. he he wanted. Connery to be a part of it and he's like I can make this work I can make this guy who yeah. can't do an accent to save his fucking life he and tailored he... the character for the portrayal of the character uh-huh. like they did with uh, Samuel Jackson for Nick Fury how oh. Nick Fury used to be the white guy with the eye patch uh-huh. and everything like that and then when Samuel Jackson started playing him now in all of the cartoons and comics and everything he looks like Samuel Jackson so even going forward they've just adapted the whole thing mm-hmm. wow yeah so a Scottish father and a Swiss mother, he gets orphaned at the age of 11 after his parents were in a, like, climbing accident. <laughs> Apparently I, that happened a lot because, like, you always hear of, like, people, like, in Europe, like, what happened? You're like, it was a climbing accident. The Swiss Alps are just rife with dead bodies that have been swept up by avalanches. So many orphans have been created tons. by climbing accidents. Tons. Like, what? At, at some point, these parents are just being reckless when they're like, hey, we're going climbing this week. And the kid's like, No! <laughs> <laughs> Only one of you can climb at a time. Hey, do you guys want to go with us? No. We want to stay home. So, and also part of kind of the Bond mythos is around like age 11, he's kind of, or no, sorry, age 12, he's kind of brought in under like the stewardship of this guy. I'm trying to remember his name. Um, fuck. He was it, one of his father's friends, wasn't he? It, it's one of his dad's friends. And it's it's one of like the, it's the main plot point of... Spectre. Yeah, it is Spectre because there's allegedly like a, maybe a sibling or... It's the son of the guy that took him under and they were basically like brothers Uh and they were raised together and everything. So he's brought under kind of the the stewardship of this guy and at some point he tries to go to Oxford or something like that or goes to school and he ends up getting kicked out for something, which I think is a little bit of like... Probably banging his professor. It was for was it for banging his profession? I, I actually think it might have been. Judging by the by the character, I would say yes. I think it might have been, and I think that goes directly back to Fleming of saying this is why I got kicked. like kind of like that oh, wish fulfillment I can see. thing. Okay. Yeah, and being so like that was a if personal I, adaptation. exactly. So if I 
I want to believe that I got kicked out for like something like that, making it seem cooler. Um, I called her professor and I paid her, so I still guess got gonorrhea. I still got gonorrhea. Gets accounts. So where does the name James Bond come from? I just the most odd of places. It was just a. It was an ornithology book. It was an ornithologist that wrote a book that was sitting on the coffee table in Goldeneye or at Goldeneye, mm-hmm. whatever. However, he you liked to bird watch. Like Fleming was like a huge bird watcher or something. And the guy, I forgot exactly what the title of the name was, but the author was James Bond, the mm-hmm. famous. I think he was Doctor James Bond because he was an ornithologist. Mm-hmm. So I do know that. I think Fleming signed a book. Or, oh, that's what it was. Um, the ornithologist sent him another book mm-hmm. that he had written, and it was signed um, to Ian Fleming from the real James Bond. Oh, okay. So, a nice little nod to, like, he actually was really proud of kind of spawning the name of the character. And he picked it because he wanted the most boring sounding. Just the most ge- basic Generic, basic name you could fucking think of. Which, it's weird to think now that James Bond was a... Just like a vanilla name. Yeah. Because what we know now is nothing of vanilla. Mm-hmm. And then he... <clears throat> so in in the, you know, Bond history and everything, uh, double O, the double O status, like double O seven, double O six, double O eight. So the double O designation was basically what was provided to you that that was your license to kill number. So and didn't your your double O status is basically double O status means you have a license to kill. It means you've on mission you've killed two people like that you were directed to kill, and then that earns you your double O status, and then you have a license to kill at that point. Huh. And he ends up using double O seven because that was the train that he rode every day. <laughs> so I mean, he's just picking out these. That's how that's how it works, though, dude. I mean, like when you're writing something, you are just trying to. Pick things. Um, Comedians that write jokes just write a lot of them on just observations that they make. Yeah, there's so many things within Star Wars, like you know the um, TDX thing that comes on your screen at the movies, and it's like, and it does yeah. it's the sound test uh-huh. that has like its numbers or TDX like on certain doors, like in Star Wars, because that's who created the company. Huh. There's there's a whole bunch of like different dates and everything like that worked into this stuff, so it's no surprising that he's just picking stuff out. You know, there's not a double O status, but like now you're thinking about it, you're like, wait, is there some type of special status for? Is there though? There's got to be some type of like, yeah, immunity to to stuff. We don't know. That's kind of soldiers are provided that during wartime, like right. during rules of engagement and everything. So, and who else more creative to come up with it than a guy that was in intelligence in the navy? Mm-hmm. So, just adding another layer to the Bond character and mystique. Which, who knows, maybe he realized that the train was 007, he thought of 00 status, and that was based off of something that he had seen in the military. Or at some point, they're like, why is he 007? And they're like, well, he, that's his agent name. Well, why isn't he just 7? He's like, well, he has to have the 00 status. And they're like, why? And he's like, The license to kill. Yeah, he's like, fuck, because that's what gives him his status that he can kill people. They're like, that works. <laughs> Good enough. Um, and that, yeah, he worked for MI6, which that was the, the branch that, that ended up handling or what they believe handles like espionage and like spying and everything for, for Britain. Not sure. Not sure if that's still the designation, but I think it would have to be because there's still like MI3, MI5 that yeah. are like different branches mm-hmm. of the, the intelligence field or the military. Yeah. So, uh, 
it just the whole thing intermittently about to transition into the movies. Um, he has a fantastic secretary, Money Penny. Well, it's not his secretary. Well, this the it's secretary. M's. It's yeah, M's, M's secretary. secretary. So yeah. So getting into, I guess before we talk about the movies, because then we're going to be mentioning characters' names. Yeah. So you have James Bond, 007, um, British secret agent, licensed to kill. Basically, one of the, if not the first, real like superhero on screen. Like, come on! Like, yeah. how quickly would some of these guys be dead? Oh, very, very, fast. very quickly. Like within the first movie, there's <laughs> yeah. James Bond should have been killed in every movie that he was in. Yes, and probably every book as well. Yes, like this wasn't. There are certain there are certain James Bonds that definitely would have been dead before the, it, it even got to the gun barrel, or no, before they even got to the actual song for the movie. Raj would have just tripped and fallen Jesus in the, the vineyard. <laughs> okay, so you have James Bond. So he works for MI6. You have kind of going in order of like who he reports to. So you have M. M is just the designation for the current like head of the MI6. Then you have Q. Q is the designation for the person that is the quartermaster. He's the guy that hooks up Bond with like all of his weapons and all the cool gadgets and the cars and all that kind of shit. Um, What's Morgan Freeman in Batman? Uh, Lucius Fox. So he's like his Q. Yeah, basically. Lucius Fox is like his Q. Yeah. It's... It's it's something Most that's of been this borrowed. Shit has and, to be, yeah, it has yes. to be picked up from Bond because there's so many things you have to think. Um, Anytime me- you think of like someone has a tech guy in a movie or like someone that provides like the like their again quartermaster or, like their armor or anything, a lot of that is just based on M or no Q. I, it's stuff like that. It's M. It's Q. It's those. It's code names. Yeah, but yeah. those code names. Thinking of like Men in Black. That has to be where Men in Black got the idea for Agent J. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it just... All this stuff that comes out of this, I don't think it happened before Fleming wrote Bond. This all has to be a spawn from from the actual Bond. I'm guessing people in, you know, during wartime did have code names and fake names. And I'm sure there were people maybe in, you know, command positions that, like, during secret or, like, stuff like that would have just code names that they would use. Um, but I'm, I'm guessing it's hard to kind of distinguish at this time because this is so embedded as part of our culture, mm-hmm. things from James Bond is that it's hard to kind of tell like which came first. And then if they told you, well, Bond actually did make, they made that up. That's not a real thing. You're like, well, that's kind of cool. Maybe it, it should be or something. Maybe it should stick. Yeah. You have different agents that sneak in. Um, there's a rogue agent in Goldeneye. It's, I want to say it's 005. Uh, 00, oh, it's 006 or 005, yeah. One of those Alec, Alec Trevelyan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you have kind of these characters that float in and out, and the main thing that you're always going to see in a Bond movie over anything else, over killing, over anything like that, it's always the women. Bond girls have spawned, like, their own imagery to just... Uh, calling someone a Bond girl or something like that is, yeah. like, the highest form of flattery. Yes. These women were all gorgeous for their time. Uh, some of them still somehow are just very beautiful women, but from the beginning, from, uh, Dr. No, the, the love interests just start flowing in. Did you know? Okay. So it's Ursula Andrus in Dr. No, and she's the one that has that very famous scene where she's coming up out of the water. And I think it's the orange bikini. She's Uh got like the swim knife. Um, they didn't even use her real voice. They had to have her dubbed. 
there's a ton of these Bond movies, especially early on, because you got to understand that like these are all being produced and done over in England. I, it's like Pinewood Studios or something that did most of them. Um, so they're bringing in like a lot of like foreign actresses. That's why you don't see like a lot of Americans. That's like, have you noticed that like Bond is its own is one of those weird things where it's feels like such an American franchise. Uh-huh. Strictly British. But it's British, and they don't really, they don't put any, um, I mean, they do and They shoot in they America. They do with American characters and stuff like that. Uh-huh, and they shoot in America, they direct so, some, it, some any, scenes. I'm not going to lie to you, any time a Bond movie takes place in America, it automatically loses points with me. Yeah, that's where we get the invisible car, huh? Nope, that one. Okay, let's just start. It, okay. We'll, yeah. go, we'll go from the beginning. So... 1962 was Dr. No, I believe. Yes. So all the way back then, that's what, 62 or 60 years? 60 years. 61 years mm-hmm. now? I think they did. I think it did just go through its 60th anniversary. I, it's so crazy to think that Dr. No, just seeing the movie in and of itself, the 60s, that feels like that was pretty high technology for the 60s, at least in my mind. It Watching the movies kind of going through and watching... I, I've seen them all, but I haven't seen all of them very recently. I went through and watched a couple from each of the actors, kind of what would be considered their best and my, what might be considered their worst. But that introduction of James Bond and Dr. No, where you don't see him, you see the cards and everything like that, and then the cards get put over and he's the one dealing the cards, and then the camera finally pans up to him and he's lighting the cigarette and just does the name is Bond, James Bond. I don't know, like, if you could ever get that more perfect than, like, the idea of how to introduce that character. Regardless of how you introduce him, like, in other movies and everything like that, that's the first time anybody saw him on camera. So that. You gotta imagine that's probably earlier in Connery's career where there's not such a. He looked old. Man, that's that's my... Connery going, always looked old, though. That's Connery the was thing. 22 when he was old. Yeah. <clears throat> so Connery always seemed old to me, and he was only like, what, like 30... Was he 35 when he started? 32. I think he was 32. I think he was on the younger side. 32. He looked already 40, at least, in that first movie. And he was a... You know, he's a man. Like, you know, people <laughs> at, that, at that point, people didn't look young in their 30s. They looked like fucking men when they were, you know... You're in the, you're in goddamn England. You probably have a job at you know ten years old. There's no jubilant thirty year old in England. Mm-mm. I don't see that happening. No, you've already got like a fifteen year old kid at that point. Just it, standard. It, you've already had to live with your parents telling mm-hmm. you about like the war and all that, and uh, just not. You're going to be weathered at a young age, yeah. and Connery certainly was weathered at a young age. So. Connery and I mean each kind of like era of Bond, each actor kind of brings something different to it. It's never you know where it's the while it's the same character, everyone's interpretation of the character can be so vastly different. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Connery's Bond was just seemed like a very like very confident, figured he could get out of any situation. I don't know if Connery's Bond, I would consider him like a smart Bond. Yeah. Like he was a pretty reckless Bond. It just He just oozed like machismo and suave. That's he the whole point. Like he could just get out of his 
out of any situation just based on his like charisma. Uh-huh. Like that's what they were banking him. He wasn't going to outthink like the villain or anything like that. His <laughs> his power was to essentially turn the villains women or like the henchwomen that they had against them. So then he just had the the jump on the villain. So basically he was just using his magic bond deck <laughs> to try to turn these women traitor. That was like his greatest power. Like he did that in uh Goldfinger. He ended up turning uh Pussy Galore to and we gotta talk about these yeah. things. Yeah, that's that's the elephant in the room. I feel like if you know Bond, it's tough to be two grown men and still have to do this, but Ian Fleming was a pervert. Oh, God, yes. He was a dirty, downright pervert. Yes. And he wasn't like a... He didn't hide it. It it was out in the open for all to see. The thing about Fleming is that like all of the things with Bond are Ian Fleming wish fulfillment. And it was written at that time when, you know, even more so than like what you look at like Mad Men, where it was just like slapping chicks on the ass (laughs) in the office and all that kind of stuff, making whatever fucking innuendos you want to. Because even from the get-go, Connery's Bond comes off as a little rapey yeah, yeah i mean in the first movie he is like forceful pretty forceful with the woman and everything and it it's weird to look back on that and being like yeah that's a little uncomfortable <laughs> and i'm not trying to like sound weird about it but like i don't know if it's because so much stuff is steered away from that that you watch that and is like man i bet if she knew who he really was she'd press charges <laughs> He said his name was James Bond. Yeah. Do you know how, lady, you know how many reports we get about a guy named James Bond <laughs> forcing himself on women? A couple times a year, this guy makes his way through. We always get a rash of sexual assault reports, and they always give that name. Can't be the same guy. And then it's, well, what's your name? Uh, Octopussy. Huh? Mm-hmm. Excuse me. What's what's your name? Uh, my favorite Bond woman, uh, Holly Goodhead. You're telling me that we're fucking throwing out Holly Goodhead, and we're just gonna like let that go? No, you can't let that go. Especially, I think Austin Powers being the rip that it was. Ivana Hump a lot is fucking spot on for like ninety. Did you forget about the actual character that had the dame that was Pussy Galore? A lot of vagina. Oh, Remember yeah. Remember the chick at the poker table? She's like, a lot of vagina. Uh, and that's, it's funny to say those because that would have been like strictly towing the line with Fleming. Like Fleming did the exact same thing. They probably, I'm pretty confident that they had to like <clears throat> dial down the names that Ian Fleming. Because <laughs> like the way that he wrote, it was, it leaned really hard into like the, like, um, what am I trying to say here? Like the misogynistic part of it. Plenty O'Toole, uh, Xena on a top. Xenia on a top. That was, that was Goldeneye. Even <sighs> that was pretty, pretty recent. Pretty recent, but I do feel like going back and watching Goldeneye the other night. Mm-hmm. 1994 or yeah. 96? Ooh, like, you're going to have to look that up. Uh, n- no, 95. 95? Yeah. Okay, so middle it. It. We used to watch movies in very poor quality. Like there was, it had to have been a turn right around two thousand, like the millennium, mm-hmm. that pictures on TV started getting clearer. Because trying to watch 
a movie from that time period, and I would say probably even like Home Alone and shit like that. That were look at the era. look at where video game technology was when that was made. Yeah. Like look at like the N sixty four graphics of that game, and you wonder. But yes, I I think I was watching it and I couldn't get the uh, screen aspect to go to like widescreen. I was like, the fuck is wrong with this? And it, it was just like the like smaller like size down boxes. I was like, oh yes, this was before ratios were a thing. Hey, you guys remember when TVs used to be square? The fuck, dude? But, so weird. I mean, the whole point of the Bond franchise is just about, like, these weird, like, irresponsible, stupid, like, male fantasies is what it is. And then somehow I don't know if women just get brought along for the ride. Like, hey, honey, we're going to see the new Bond film. She's like, okay, whatever. Well, at least Daniel Craig's hot. I, and that's one thing in doing research and really thinking about it was... I don't know if I've ever met a girl who has like ever made a Bond reference or anything like that. Not really. Like, it's just, it's not for women and I, I don't think it really matters. They, they could make it for women. I, I think interesting spin. Yeah, if you, if you, you are, we don't mean that in an offensive way. No. But what we're saying is that like, if you like Bond, fantastic. My, I grew up watching Bond because my mom loved Bond movies. My sister loves James Bond movies. What I'm saying is that it's not made essentially with your consideration in mind, whether it becomes a good movie or fun. But what I'm saying is that it's not going to be a movie that tries to pull punches away to be like, well, the newer ones do, but especially like when these things were first started, these movies were made for men because guess who chose where we're going on the date? Just highly misogynistic movies. Mm -hmm. So I, I almost don't, they're not good. And I wouldn't say that I would ever want to see them made today just because it feels different when you see something like in this day and age. Mm-hmm. It's a bad phrase to use, but it's like back in this time or things were different back then. Unfortunately, things just were different back then. Yeah, And I'm glad that they've changed and I'm glad that they've grown up. But to appreciate these things in the time capsule that they were, like just for guys, it's the ultimate guys being dudes franchise. Watching it is almost like you're like... Part of it is almost like the, I can't believe this used to be in movies. Like shit like that. It's like you're watching and I'm like, I can't believe they just fucking like got to make movies like this. Um, the, the absolute freedom that they had to just make a dumb storyline or a dumb joke mm-hmm. or a rape joke, anything like that was just, it, it all flew back then. Well, the thing is, is, you know, these aren't like getting a ton of, you know, this first movie, especially Dr. No, isn't getting a ton of money behind it. And I mean, you can tell in everything, but I mean, they, I want to say Dr. No was a million dollar budget. They came out of the gate too, without giving like two shits about any type of like racial sensitivity. Mm-mm. Cause the dude, I can't remember what the black dude's name is in Dr. No. It is, it's, and he's from like the Island that go on to, I can't remember if it ends up taking place. Oh yeah. In Jamaica is where it takes place. And this guy, oh, his name is Quarrel. And so he's like a, a native islander there and definitely like is just like, <laughs> Mr. Bond, like, let me show you where you're going to go. Of course, he ends up dying. Oh, yeah. But probably first, too, right? Uh, he ends up getting killed like him and Bond are trying to search someplace and he ends up getting killed. But I, I mean, yeah, if if you don't if you want somebody to reach out to women for the Bond franchise, uh, you can go straight to minorities. Because minorities, like you say, were just uh, just treated incredibly. Oh, there was entire like, um, yeah, was it Chang in Moonraker was 
Yes. He looks like Korean Seth Rogen. That's, um, there was the Timothy Dalton one that was uh, basically about uh, like heroin trafficking that took place <laughs> between like Jamaica and the United States. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm not saying like keep the United States out of it. What I'm saying is like, it's not fucking interesting. When you come, when they have to come to the United States, I'm just like, man, like you can have fucking set this like somewhat. Like I, I see this shit all the time. We like it's not exotic though. here. No, no. Your brand of stereotype is something that we've been doing for a very long yes. time. So you have um, Sean Connery who ends up playing Bond through Doctor No, then from Russia with Love. It, you would say Connery's defining feature was the charisma. Yes, and the fact that I think if if we were to create like a hierarchy of bonds that you believe could go like likelihood of actual survival for what they're doing, I think you go Craig, Brosnan. Mm, no, I go Craig, Connery, Brosnan, Dalton, Moore. I'm not counting Lazenby. Well, Lazenby would be number one because he would just run away from the problem. <laughs> he would escape somehow. <laughs> That's true. So, but I think, I mean, the way Connor, yeah, he was just so smooth and suave and um, he had that. I mean, when you think of like James Bond and everything, like he definitely had like the look of who you could believe mm-hmm. was James Bond. He had just age, and I'm not even saying he was that old when he stopped playing Bond. But he just looked old. So when Bond does this weird thing where regardless of the age of the actor playing Bond, the girls are like barely like 20. And so you get this as Bond. It's the Matthew McConaughey thing. It's I keep getting older. They stay the same. That's like the that's like Bond said that before. So it would get like as the actor got older, it got a little bit like creepier. But I I think there was even one point where he like rejects a woman because she is like 19 and I think it's Roger Moore maybe. And it's like towards the tail end oh, of his yeah, streak. Yeah, it was, it might've been view to a kill where but, she's like the ice skater uh-huh. and, and her name's BB. And she's like, but she's literally stereotypical, like 18, like I want a pony. And like, I want ice cream. Hi, Mr. Bond. And like made her so seem so young that like, Roger Moore was very, like, it was the tail end of his It was his last one. Yeah, so he's as old as a Bond as he's ever been. And it's very, He's, like, as old as, like, the old dude that's, like, watching after her, like, her coach. It's very (laughs) fucking creepy. But then, like, she liked him, so it was, I don't know if that was supposed to be, like, he still got it. Like, I don't know. But he had morals, he didn't We're going to get to that movie. We will get to that movie. Uh, Goldfinger, Thunderball, You Only Live Twice. I think the best one... Out of the Connery. Oh, and then Connery actually came back after George Lazenby came in. I don't know how that worked, but they got um, Connery to come back for Diamonds Are Forever. But it wasn't an Eon. No, it was. Oh, it was? You're thinking of Never Say Never Again. Okay. Which, yeah, that one is not really considered like official Bond canon. What I, do you know think... you wa- I know you want to skip over Lazenby, but. No, no, we don't. Okay. I'm, I'm going to stay on Connery for okay. a second. What do you think Connery's best Bond is? Uh, Goldfinger. I'll agree. Gotta be. I don't know if it's even for the fact that, like, it's his best portrayal of, like, James Bond, but I think just because that one, I think, is the most memorable Bond. He I don't know. He was in a sweet spot with the character, for sure. And yes, he had. Very he, well. It was his third Bond, so he was still, he nailed down what made the character. It's got pussy galore. 
<laughs> the the character and then the movie itself i believe also featured a flying all women's flight team or something like that so it did in fact have pussy a mass amount of galore. it galore galore um it was one of the first times that a bond girl had been like kind of put on his equal footing like cuz she wasn't into bond at the beginning or anything like that she was working for goldfinger um, she gave Bond his own shit right back at him and everything. The plot's fucking ridiculous. Like, you're going to increase, like, Goldfinger wants to increase the value of his own gold by nuking or irradiating <laughs> all the gold in Fort Knox. So then, and, but they're, like, not going to know that, like, so, so the guy that is getting rich off of all this, <laughs> all of his value of gold is not the guy that, that nuked the, our gold supply. Um, odd job. I don't, maybe this is also why this one is kind of the favorite is because like yeah, Odd Job from Goldeneye, the game, people had to make rules. He was at the end of No too, wasn't he? Odd Job? No, he only showed up in, in Goldeneye. Okay. This is or, when you no, start he getting No, he only tropes. showed up in Goldfinger. He was in Gold. He was Goldfinger's like manservant. But you couldn't use him in, you I'm talking about the game. You use him in Goldeneye. You couldn't use him in Goldeneye. There was rules because whenever you shot, it would go over his head. But you could play with him. You just yes, weren't. Yes, yes. I'm saying you, listen, as a person of honor, <laughs> while the character was available for selection in the game, there were most of the time rules. And if you played with Odd Job, you were pretty much just admitting that you were a bitch. That's just, that's how, that's how it worked. Oh, you were going to win, but you were a bitch. It was yes. a hollow and if you lost with, Oh, but if you lost with Odd Job... You were doing something I think wrong. that I think that was the risk that you. That's why you didn't pick him because if you knew if you ended up losing with him, it'd just, just gotta, be yeah. yeah. You might pack your shit up and leave the sleepover. <laughs> sleepovers, yeah. Done. Sleepovers over for you. Um, but yeah, I mean the the plot's ridiculous as in any Bond movie. You know, Auric Goldfinger is I can't remember where he's from. He's like German or something like that. Uh, yeah, it's like Austrian almost. Maybe. I expect to to die, but this is where you get some of those iconic like Bond scenes. Like he's the one that straps Bond to the table and does the laser beam that looks like it's gonna cut into his dick first. Cut him in half, and he's like, "Do you expect me to talk?" And he's like, "Do you expect me to talk?" He's like, "No, Mister Bond. I expect you to die." And then somehow makes this giant elaborate like this was the epitome of the elaborate like death to bond. And then he just like walks away. Just, this is where they figure out how to, when we said, or when, yeah, we said earlier, Bond's supposed to die in every movie, Mm -hmm. but the elaborate way to make that not happen is to put on these painstakingly long, stupid ritual killings of bond. You got to give the guy a chance to monologue. Yeah. He's, I think, what, there have been 23 movies? 22 or 23. 22, 23, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And he's only died in one of them, and then he came back, Daniel Craig, when he gets shocked back to life. No, no, he's, well, he's dead now. I thought he can't, I thought they shocked him back to life. Have you not seen the new one? Mm-mm. Oh, he's dead. He dies. Huh. At the end of it. Well, I, so, he's what, 20, he could be 22 for 23, no, well, as far yeah. as like deaths in movies to not dying. Yes, but this death was of his own. He had a hand in this. Yeah, yeah. But all these, 
all these movies were meant Bond was supposed to die. And that was the big hook that you were getting out of every single one of them was this weird, elaborate scheme, which again, this is where Austin Powers gets sharks with laser beams on their mm-hmm. head because that's still not far off from the shit that Fleming was coming up with. I mean, a, a laser beam to start at the penis and cut somebody in half is just a wild way to kill somebody. And you're like, what were you cutting with this? Like, what was this supposed to be like your special gold laser? So why do you have like a human sized bed with like fucking shackles right next to this thing? You've been planning on cutting up, coming someone dick up with this thing since you had this thing installed. You know it. This was constructed for a reason. This was, this is the reason this thing was made. And had he maybe hit Connery's penis, it might've saved just a mountain of STDs that got spread around. That it would time. save so many future Bond or not Bond girls, the Bond girl wannabes. We'll get to that as well. Um, but that's where you also get that scene where I guess we're getting to it right now. So the formula usually for Bond is between what, two and three women a movie. I think that's a pretty, pretty fair assessment. So two to three women a movie. He women, but with. not all hookups. Not all of them are hookups. I would say it, he's like, he's got a 97% like hookup effectiveness. Success right? rates. Yes. High, yeah. And so, I, I have the numbers to back that up. Later. We will go through the numbers. Um, Usually there is a woman he meets. Sometimes he knocks one out before the fucking music even rolls for the theme song. There are movies in which he knocks one out there. Moonraker, he's on the plane. He gets, I, um, he gets the job done. No, no. He's he's on the plane, but he has to bail out, remember? Yeah, but I think they were getting dressed in the beginning. Oh, I the think romp. they were. I think you're right. Yes. Uh, uh, you only... Oh, no, no. A View to a Kill. He skis down a mountain and then there's a little British submarine that looks like an iceberg he jumps into and the inside of it for some fucking reason half of it is submarine and then half of it is goddamn bedroom (laughs) with like silk sheets and everything so even before the music rolls okay he usually then the next girl that he meets is he usually meets a woman that is working for the villain or the guy that he's sent to investigate or a double agent in some cases yes he gets in with her and then they sleep together now, if it happens to be someone working for the villain, the villain then finds out about it, and James is literally one degree away from the responsibility for her death. So his body count, like, he's responsible for a, a lot of women dying with his penis. Mm-hmm. like Directly or indirectly sometimes. Yes, it's one of those things where there's like, there might even be more of a 50% chance that if Bond has sex with you, before the final girl, you're going to die. And in Goldfinger, she ends up getting, they paint her with gold paint and she suffocates or something Uh like that because her skin suffocates. Always a very weird way that they go out too. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's one of, from the, from the Connery timeframe, the Connery era, I think that's probably the best one. Um, Can we take a bathroom break before we get into Lazy Me? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Before we get out of Connery, I do want to say what, I believe Connery, what do you think Connery, like, most memorable thing out of his era was? I feel like after I say mine, then you're going to say, I think it's got to be the Aston Martin. Yeah. His, again, part of the Bond formula is Bond always has the coolest cars. It's, It's debatable for some of the Bronson ones, or Brosnan ones, but it, 
the Aston Martin is just so classic to Bond, and Bond's had a bunch of different cars that he's driven. He's gone out of the way. He's driven Lotuses. He's driven BMWs. He's he's strayed a little bit. I want to say there was an American car in there somewhere. It might have been a Mustang, like a Mach One or something. I I want to say it was Roger Moore's time. Ooh, I'll have to look into that. But the cool Bond car is. Just as big of a staple as anything else in Bond's character. I think that is from the get-go. Or or maybe it might have been from, from Goldfinger, because that's where you saw the introduction of that Aston Martin. It was the DB... Oh, which one was it? Was it DB3? DB5. DB5. And that one is... No, it's not the DB5. Which one is the... Aston Martin's for me. By the time we do the, the it is first, the DB5, yeah. By the time we do the the first anniversary episode and we start getting paid like a hundred thousand an episode mm-hmm. to do this, uh, I'm going to be an Aston Martin guy. I think. Yes, I, I, I will. I will have loved, this. Loved Aston Martins. I will. I will come back and have a DB5 just because it's been the car. I think that despite what's come and gone, as far as like. Everyone had that gun in 60 seconds time where they're like, I want that fucking Eleanor and everything. But then looking back on it, seeing, you know, that, that Aston Martin, especially with all like the ejector seed, the bulletproof shield that came out the back, the machine guns behind the headlights and everything. No one had ever seen that before. And you're like, fucking spies get this. And from that point on in Goldfinger, it kind of like was trying to not always in a good way, one up each other you know, throughout the movies to see what else we could put in these cars. And then, like you said, it got to the point during the Brosnan days where it just like, that was definitely jumping the shark type territory. And they were BMWs and they just weren't that cool. They it's... didn't get used right. They're the whole thing with the, the BM that was during the early Brosnan time, because that was his car in the, um, in Goldeneye. He it was the, the BMW. Coupe. Is that the coupe? Yeah. Okay. And the Z3 is undoubtedly the coolest BMW that he drove. He didn't do anything with it that movie. Q introduced it. He's like, you got Stinger missiles behind the uh, headlights and everything. The only time he drives it is somehow they ship the car to like Cuba or wherever. And he drives it with the chick to like the airstrip where that dude lands. Uh, <sighs> Jack Wade or whatever. Which, did you know that the guy that plays Jack Wade in Goldeneye was also a bad guy in um, The Living Daylights? Was he? Yes. They usually take other bad guys or bad guy personas and kind of put them on some of their bad guys. It was the first it was the first Timothy Dalton movie. He plays like a a general of some country or something like that. Who's like an arms dealer. Interesting. But okay, so he didn't get to use anything. The the other guy drove it almost as much as Bond drove it when he was driving it away from the airfield. It was it had to have been BMW just Backed up the Brinks truck. It was the th- it was the three three first Brosnan movies. The second one was the four door BMW. It was like a three twenty i or something like that. Just not a good BMW. What are you doing? That's not a spy car. Bond doesn't drive a four door car. He, no. The man doesn't have a family unless he's going incognito or he's trying to hide out and not be Bond. Four door car makes it or four yeah just it just. Blows my mind that that was the big. That's why I think BMW just had to have paid a billion dollars for that sponsorship. That one was, yeah, it was a 750 IL. Oh. And the big thing about that one 
was it had so Q gives it to him <clears throat> and it has like a Nokia he gives him like a Nokia phone with it. Oh, that was one of the first ones that people saw like <clears throat> No, that wasn't the first one that was people saw with a phone in a car. <clears throat> But it was kind of like the first cell phone, right? That was back during the that was during like Connery time where he could talk and but it what it was is it wasn't like a phone, it was like the speaker built into the car and he could communicate like with an like MI5. System. Pretty much. Um but yeah, so the second Brosnan movie, he has that BMW, and then really the only thing about that, actually that did have a lot of stuff. It had like bulletproof windows, it had roof mounted missiles, tire spikes, but he sat in the back seat and was down out of danger and was steering it with the Nokia phone. It like flipped open oh, and he could yeah. steer it by that. But even that one was short lived. He used it for like one chasing through a parking garage and then ended up jumping it like out of the parking garage and into like the rental car return place. Hey, um, all these references, if you haven't seen these movies, all these references sound like hyperbole, but this is just shit that happened. If these you're are, listening to this, seen. chances are you've seen these movies. Yeah. Um, and then the last one was the BMW is the Z8. It was supposed to be like the new Z3 or whatever. And the only thing that I think he used that for in the movie was he took it to, do you, do you remember Die Another Day? Or no, no, uh, The World Is Not Enough. I, That's the one with Denise Richards. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, the only thing he really used out of that, I think he might've fired a rocket to take down a helicopter. And then it had this thing that popped out, uh, the BMW logo on the front that was basically like a wire cutter and he used it to cut a wire or something. But I'm like, how fucking that wire has to be in the exact fucking, but like what situation are you going to be in? Like you're looking ahead and they're like setting a tripwire across them. And he's like, can you like raise that like another six inches? And then just be there to raise it or lower it again once I get close. Because I have this thing on here. Or is there just like a, a generic traditional, like a tripwire is always 18 inches off the ground. <laughs> yeah, that's that's normally where they put it. But so, yeah. And other than that, I mean, he's had different cars throughout the years. But just recently, I think in the fourth Brosnan movie, they they brought back and they went back to the Aston. They didn't even do, do it right, though. No. They they fucked up their one chance to come back to the Aston Martin by just making it ridiculous. It might be the worst scene in any Bond movie for me. I mean, if we're getting into the, the best Bond cars, it's got to be that DB5, even the most memorable one. Uh, the one, and then he just gets into, in the Daniel Craig Bond, the newer ones, he has the Aston Martin, but it's not like loaded with all the gadgets and shit. It's like bulletproof glass. Reinflatable tires, like puncture-proof tires. Other than that, his old DB5, the one that he uses in Skyfall, Way has more, more has more weapons and oh, technology yeah. on it. That one has like all of the golden or all of the Goldfinger stuff. Well, and we'll get to it when we talk about Daniel Craig's era, but it just turned so much more into like modern day realities. That and- my comparison for it is the Roger Moore era that we're going to get to here after Lazenby, he's the Adam West Batman era. If you're going to compare it to something, he would be the Adam West TV. It's, it's Batman. disrespectful, but I know what you're saying. <laughs> like, holy, holy bananas, Batman. It's like disrespectful to Roger Moore, but I, I, I get okay. it. Okay. But it what I'm sense. saying is the Craig version is like the Nolan movies. Yeah. Okay. They, they got, they got rid of a lot of fluff and everything like that. Fuck but up. when they started using the Aston Martins, 
Die Another Day aside, that's, I mean, those are my favorite cars by ch- by a, a long shot. Yeah, the um, my favorite one, I, I'll call it second favorite because the first favorite is just incredible. But um, Casino Royale, it's the 2006, the DBS V12 Aston Martin. Mm-hmm. It's one of the sexiest cars that has just ever existed. That one? Yeah. One, yes. It's just incredible. It's so good. But the best one that he ever had, even this is gadget wise, this would be like my favorite mm-hmm. gadget too, is the Lotus, um, I think it's an Esprit. E- Esprit. Yeah. Esprit. Um, in the Spy Who Loved Me, the one that turns into the submarine. And that's a good car chase too, leading that the where best. they jump off. Absolute. You think that's the best car chase? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. we're going to get to this yeah. too. Um, Yes, that one was awesome. The way it turned into, you're like, of course that car turns into a fucking submarine. <laughs> because it's once James you see Bond. it as a submarine, you're like, that is that <laughs> is that a submarine that actually turns into a car? Did they just make this in that way? Yes, that was that one's awesome. Lotus got a couple couple cars in there. I think they had an Esprit in another one. Um, I think it was an Esprit, and then it was a Esprit uh, Turbo, and that was in for your eyes only. But Lotus again is just another beautiful car maker. They they're so small and so tiny, but they're just so great. So going to what you're saying, he did use a Ford Mustang Mach One. That's, that was yeah, Sean Connery and Diamonds like Are Forever. Which again, I don't know if that counts then because Diamonds Are Forever wasn't one of the Eon productions. Um, he used a ooh. Apparently, Lazenby used a. Oh, she, uh, his wife on Her Majesty's Secret Service moving into Lazenby drove a Mercury Cougar. And then at some point he drove in You Only Live Twice a Toyota 2000 GT. That does not look like a Toyota. That looks like a little British car. That's pretty cool looking. That's, I think, what they were going for because there's a lot of them like the Z3. That kind of was like its own advertising. Was it was a Bond car? I, and that I, was the same I fully thing with support that what you said about them throwing a ton of money oh, in yeah. BMW. 100%. Um, what was funny is in Dr. No, the car that he had in his chase, remember I sent you the picture of the chase where it's mm-hmm. literally the camera mounted on the hood and then it's just like the black and white screen of a car going behind him. That car he was driving was called a Sunbeam Alpine Series 2. So I guess they didn't think that one was cool enough because they would uh, bring in two movies later in Goldfinger. They were like, let's just give this guy a badass fucking car. That became essentially one of the most iconic cars in in modern cinema. And a lot of them, it's kind of odd to think cause and effect, but a lot of the cars like BMW had a very large glow up after bond. Mm -hmm. after it became the bond car, it was just crazy marketing. Oh yeah. So I wonder if maybe during Dr. No's time in 62 or whenever it was like Sunbeam was a, a a hot car of the time. Like it was the car you wanted to be in. Yeah. It maybe in Britain too. Mm hmm. And then when they started leaning in, I was going to say, because Aston Martin is strictly British. Yeah. So they wanted to lean into that. There's no better car than to to do that. So what do we get with Lazenby, who only gets one, one shot? Her Majesty's Secret Service. He he is the most, I don't know, man. He just like, I don't, I, I think it's because I never really took time to watch that, that movie because he only had one shot at it and everything. Um he just, he's not Bond to well, me. Well, and he fucked it up because after Her Majesty's Secret Service, he kind of like, I think he bought a boat and went and sailed around the world mm-hmm. and like 
didn't want to come back and fulfill the rest of his contractual obligations. It wasn't that he didn't play a decent bond in Her Majesty's Secret Service. It was like he thought that there wasn't a future in the franchise, so he didn't want to waste his time with it. And it was a big mistake. Not a good move. (laughs) Big mistake. Oh, God, why did I do that? But coming into being the second Bond you kind of had to adjust your thought process of what Bond was because it was pretty clear that going forward, Sean Connery was just too old. It just, it wasn't going to work. And you, and the thing is too, you're replacing Sean Connery. Like you're not going to out Sean Connery, Sean Connery. You have to find another way to, to play this character while keeping it the same character while having people to, your continuity of all the quirks, but a different person. See, and here's the thing, too, is I wonder, you know, Lazenby was probably lined up to try to do a couple different movies. And like you said, that broke down. I wonder if the reason that who who was your Bond when you first watched Bond? Because I think everyone has. Everybody has a Bond. Yeah. But I think there's also favorite Bonds, too, because my Bond's always going to be Pierce Brosnan. OK. It was always. Uh, I think I'm glad that you. Goldeneye was my first one. I'm glad you phrased it like that. That everyone has their bond, but then has their favorite bond. Uh, So like Pierce will always be my bond as far as the guy that popped my cherry mm -hmm. was the first bond that I saw. But George or Roger Moore is he's just my bond. So he's your favorite. He's my favorite. See, Roger is mine by default because that's whose movies I grew up on when I was little. Yeah, and then my favorite is Craig. Yeah, I, and again, that's not to diminish any of these besides maybe Lazenby, but I think I have only seen parts of Her Majesty's Secret Service. Mm-hmm. But That's the only Bond with, movie, I think, where he has a happy ending, because he gets married or something. Uh, not so happy, because that'll play into the, the fanfic kind of aspect that we were talking about. Okay. But yeah, Brosnan, he was my first Bond. He'll always be like seeing him. He looks like Bond to me. He sounds like Bond to me. He's just the prototypical like. Bond I, I told man. you this. If we're gonna build our own Bond or build our perfect Bond, it's it's Brosnan's voice. He's just the Englishman's Englishman. Yes, he cleans up so nice. But Roger Moore is just. I'm just more of a. I lean towards the funnier, more absurd shit. The camp. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. He you like can't you like your Bond campy? There's that's the thing about Bond. There's some there's an error for everybody. Some are shorter than others. Uh-huh. Like if you here's the thing is I think people fall into different camps for different reasons. Like it's like westerns. You have people that like love John Wayne. You have people that are like Nah, I like Clint Eastwood better. And then you have people that I don't know if there's really anyone to move in after that. Josh but Brolin. <laughs> some yeah, maybe even something like that. But you have people that are like. The John Wayne is basically your Sean Connery. And then you had, you know, someone else at some point that, you know, might have been Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood is definitely not the comparison to Roger Moore, but I'm nah. saying you get different, like, no. different, like, eras that people are bigger fans of. Because Three the Amigos tone, might be more fitting for Roger that's Moore. That's actually, yeah. <laughs> that's a little bit. And then you have, like, Tombstone for, like, Daniel Craig or for, like, Pierce Brosnan. Hey, yeah, Daniel Craig is by far and away the realest That's, bond. like, no country for old men type shit. Uh, uh, Daniel Craig's James Bond is like the slightest step away out of reality. Yes. He he just, he feels like you, you feel everything. There's not the quirky gadgets and there's not the he gets sexism. Hurt. and Like yeah. up to a certain point, Bond did not get hurt. No. And these were old men that had to adapt their fighting styles later on in their careers because they literally couldn't do like simple fight scenes. <laughs> so, so with George Lazenby 
only having one movie. So what's what's this theory that you're talking about? I it makes total sense to me and it's kind of the theory of how Bond may not be like a singular human but like 007 is a rank like a or, moniker. Yeah, a moniker that can be interchangeable mm-hmm. with other characters. And in Her Majesty's Secret Service, it's the only Bond film where James Bond actually gets married. And at the end of the film, his wife gets shot and killed. And so that, to me, feels like the way and the way that it's described. And I don't know if it's fanfic or the theory or whatever, but that's the Lazenby Bond stepping away from MI6 mm-hmm. in the 007 role in order to introduce Roger Moore coming in. Yeah. Because it's it's like the person that Lazenby was as 007. I 100% buy this. Yeah, it just it makes so much sense. It, it makes sense for the entire franchise because... The the only okay so I I did hear stuff on this the only time that this doesn't make sense is when Bond recognizes gadgets from a previous Bond's era or something like that yeah. but that can be easily explained of just being like no I read through like my predecessor's records for missions to see kind of like if there's anyone heard of like because here's the thing too is yes you do have different actors changing roles you have a lot of these stories that the even the current movies some of the more current movies are based on, they have to update them for like now, you know, the times now, mm-hmm. but if, okay, first of all, it makes total sense. Cause why the fuck are you traveling around the world to all these supervillains <laughs> giving out your real goddamn name? Mm-hmm. First I, of all, ridiculous. You're like, a part of a spy agency, but yes. every city you go into, they you're always know that you're there. Spy. The, what, the first thing, it's like fight club. They're like spy club. What's the number one rule spy club. Don't use your fucking real name. What's the number two rule. Don't use your fucking real name. <laughs> So, but I think also because you only get up to like, from what I've seen, 009, there's a scene that makes no fucking sense in the the Living Daylights. What's the other Timothy Dalton one called? Uh, it's Living Daylights and, god damn it, they're not memorable. This no. is why. Oh, License to Kill. uh, God damn it, that's a good... That shouldn't have been a Timothy Dalton one. They could have used that in so many different ways. But it takes place when four double O's are trying to parachute and infiltrate the Rock of Gibraltar as part of a training exercise. And one of them ends up turning on all of them. And I don't know what the explanation for... I don't think... I think it's this weird intro that there's no explanation for it. They're just doing some weird set piece on the Rock of Gibraltar. I think this might be as far as like unbelievability for actual stunts. I think this may beat Moonraker because there's a point when they parachute down and then Timothy Dalton's bond like jumps onto the top of like the Jeep. They're driving down the rock of Gibraltar. I know it's huge. They're driving down the fucking rock of Gibraltar in this opening scene for like three minutes going downhill the whole way. Rock of Gibraltar ain't that big. I, yes, here's what I'm getting at. It gets to the point where, of course, the explosives that are in the back of the Jeep they just so happen to get into are on fire and about ready to explode. The vehicle, Bond's still wearing his parachute that he somehow repacked at this point or some shit. He's Bond. Mm-hmm. And he's in the vehicle with the guy. And as they jump off the side of the road, apparently 500 yards out over the water, Bond pulls his chute. It pulls him out of the back of the vehicle, and then, of course, it explodes before it hits the water. The next shot is this woman on a yacht (laughs) 
being like, there are no manly men. I'm not even shitting you, dude. And she's like, I can't find anyone that's a real man. Aren't there any real men around? And then all of a sudden, you Bond lands like on the top of the pergola or whatever the fuck it is covering the sun deck. And, Your lips to God's But ears. when it goes to Bond's view when he first pulls his parachute, he's literally like 300 feet above this yacht. <laughs> like he was that high off the fucking, like he gained altitude. <laughs> And he's way out in the fucking got a water. Headwind. Yeah, and he's way out in the water. And so he ends up dropping into the boat. And she's on the phone. He's like, I need to borrow this. And hands it to her and calls. He's like, Universal Exports. You know how they always use that as the phone? Uh-huh. And he's like, uh, 007, I need to be debriefed in an hour. And then she looks at him and she's like, Champagne. And goes to hand to him. He's like, Better make it two hours. <laughs> and it fucking goes into the, goes into the music. But. Just from that, like, standpoint, I don't even know where I was getting at with this, but just the ridiculousness. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm i not sure how we got there, but that it's just anything, even if you haven't seen all the Bond movies, anything that you hear from movies you haven't seen, just like, sure. No matter how absurd it is, it's like, yeah, that There are that, so that, many that movie tropes that borrow from James Bond. Any spy movie you've ever seen, espionage movie, anything like that. There's not only been those, but like parodies, they will all make some type of reference, whether it's the gadgets, stuff undercover, like yeah. Bond movies were the first times you ever saw like, there's a fucking silencer that goes on these fucking guns. Like what the, that's the fucking most spy shit I've ever seen. You can see so many different movies in your head of the parachute being the reason that they exit a vehicle. It's just, it's so strictly Bond. Mm-hmm. I think we're sorry where I was getting that with the Timothy Dalton movie is we were talking about how James Bond would be like a moniker. Yeah. But like I'm saying like changing between so many different types of character like that, it makes perfect sense that like at some point you would retire and then not use your fucking real name and you would pick up this identity and then other bonds. That's also why maybe he didn't get recognized. Cause I'm sorry, but if you're foiling this many evil fucking villains, world dominated plots, popular. Your name's going to get around yeah. to the supervillain community. They're going to know you. Yes. And anytime that they see you or see your name, they're going to be like, I know that guy. But when you show up in your James Bond and he's like, that's not James Bond. See, it's uh, working. You're telling me that odd job just only worked for Goldfinger. No, he, he was around. Oh, he died. Yeah. But before, before Goldfinger, he had a, a network of bad guys, which it's all interconnected. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to the bond bad guys. Cause there have been some tremendous ones, but. Just to wrap Lazenby up so we can get into the, the main attraction. Um, he was fine, I think. Uh, a one-movie run isn't really enough because Connery in the beginning wasn't great. Roger Moore in the beginning wasn't great. Mm-hmm. They had to work their way in. So A lot of people are a lot of people can name most of the Bonds, but when you say George Lazenby, it's who, – who's that? Quick, yeah. yeah. We spent more time on him than most people would. Yes. All right. Oh, it's – it's your time, baby. Time. All right. The next era of Bond is the era in which I grew up. Now, kind of looking back on it, I was probably provided access to these movies, and these movies were on in my household when I was probably too young to really should have been watching these movies. Were they PG back then? Uh, Roger Moore's were usually PG-13. Most of them were all PG-13. My first swear word, not even kidding, was from a Sean Connery Bond movie where he says, holy shit. He's like, holy shit. And I said, holy shit. And I got in trouble for it. <laughs> Did you, were you saying it like that or were you saying it normally? I think I said it normally. I tried to repeat it. It'd normally. be like, man, that's not a swear word. When he said it, it sounded completely different. Yeah. 
Oh, and before we get into Roger Moore, sorry. After George Lazenby, Sean Connery came back for another movie called Diamonds Are Forever. And Weird. then he was he was done after that. Yeah. And then even then, again, he was getting older and everything, which isn't even going to be the top of that because there will come a point when Sean Connery goes to play James Bond again. Yeah, that's the weird one. And that's, yes, that's a very, that's a very weird one. Um, Roger Moore. How old was, was Roger Moore when he got into that role? I, he, he wasn't a young man. It's never, they always seem to like try to find these guys at their youngest, but. Did you say they try? Well, I think like to fit the character and I don't know if that's intentional or just what we've seen. But you don't see like a young spry Bond in his twenties ever. There's not like until a, we got to Craig. No. Yeah, uh, and Dalton. It, Dalton did some stuff. Uh, and okay, we're gonna get more toward that after more because I think they do compensate for that. They're like, we need someone that doesn't have to just fucking karate chop somebody with one shot. That's the extent of their fighting. Yeah, the Adam West karate chop. That was a very astute comparison. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. It's no. fun to watch that sometimes. I and that's uh, Roger Moore. Like I say, he's he produces so much more of like a, a circus act to it. He brings a little bit of levity to the character because Connery was fairly serious. Yes. Ve- oh, very. And so he brought sort of a different spin on it with Roger Moore. And Roger Moore has some of the most absurd movies that are a part of the franchise. Like it's just the. The absurdity of some of the shit that he gets away with. Like, Moonraker, like I've said multiple times, it's my favorite Bond movie. And it's because it it's just the most absurd thing that's ever been made, I think. We're, we're going to get to Moonraker. Let's start. Because that was when I think, that that was at the tail end of, of Roger Moore's tenure and everything. Which makes it even, the, even better because you can see where they were having to go ahead and compensate for his uh-huh. age. Roger Moore was 45 when he began playing Bond in Live and Let Die. Um, Live and Let Die is, I don't know if it's the movie I've probably seen the most out of his Bond movies, but I think it might be up there. The, the song. To do with the, yeah, I was going to say the song. Paul McCartney on that is just, it's fucking. You funny. still hear it on the radio today. That's yeah. that popular of a song. Like, you don't even hear that, like, Adele Skyfall song anymore. Uh-huh. That thing won, like, a Grammy or some shit. But, I mean, the whole point, like, there's a... I don't know how you feel about your Bond intros and everything, but I there's a... I the old ones. There's a... There was a formula, too, not only to the movies, but, like, to the intros. And he always had, like, the silhouettes of, like, naked women dancing. It was supposed to be, like, trippy and colorful and all this kind of stuff. I don't know if they, some of them started to try to tell the story of like what the plot or like have Bond in danger, like the silhouette, but all, a lot of it had guns, had like the Walther PPK coming up and like firing shots out of it. Um, Bond's second gun, but yes. I think most famous gun. The Walther PPK is the gun that's synonymous with Bond, but it actually got replaced in Dr. No. He was carrying around a... It was a Beretta, wasn't a it? A Beretta. Yep. He started carrying around a Beretta and... Um, so I think they ended up saying that the Beretta didn't have enough stopping power or something like that. It was a, a woman's gun. It I was believe. a woman's gun meant to be carried in a handbag or something. <laughs> and then he still tries to sneak it out of the office. He's like, Bond, you can leave the Beretta. <laughs> he just hands it to Moneypenny. Um, 
Roger Moore, man, I like the fact that he's your favorite Bond and the one that I grew up with. Just because I can talk about like how he looked then and how he looked when I go back and watch the movies. But yeah, like you were saying, they had so much camp that I think that's also why it made it. I'm not saying it was right to show a child those movies, but why a parent could feel justified in being like, hey, he's dressed up as a clown in one of these movies. And you're like, just ignore the fact that there's this giant gargantuan man with like fucking metal teeth that'll give your kid fucking nightmares. And later on, uh, speaking of the man Jaws, comes one of the most, or he becomes one of the most beloved Maybe this is showing the movies that I should have seen at a young age. He's one of my most beloved, like, childhood funny ancillary characters. Yes. Him being the former construction manager. Mr. Larson. Mr. Larson of yes. Happy Gilmore. Like, he's just the man in that movie. And it's so weird to know that he was still, like, around and kicking and doing things when Gilmore came out. Mm-hmm. He just... Jaws is my favorite bad guy, too. He's just... He's so goofy and stupid and doofy but can you say henchman he, are you saying you're he's your favorite bond villain or are you just saying maybe henchman henchman yeah uh, bond villain i think you'll know when we get to him <laughs> but he just jaws is like the epitome of just the bad guy to me he i think it was the the for his first appearance when he was biting people in the neck to kill them, that was of his metal jaw. Yeah, he tried. That was the spy who loved me. So that's when he made okay. the appearance in the spy who loved me, and he was like, yeah, a more brutal. Oh yeah. During that, like he killed a shark. Like he was definitely like formidable. But in my one one, you gotta wonder, is it just the teeth? Because Roger Moore kicks him in the bean bag. Oh, you get a metal clang out of that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Is it like everything under Jaws' clothes is also metal too? Is it to him to have metal teeth and a metal penis? I feel like we need a young Jaws movie. Yeah. To find out the you know the the Jaws man origin the story. Yes. And then for as bad as he was at the end of Moonraker, he just runs off with. And another... then he talks. Yeah. And he sounds like an intelligent, like well-spoken, like well, what does he say to the girl? He's handing her like champagne, and he's like, "For you, my love," or something. Something like, like that. that. Yeah. Um, but I mean. Live and Let Die really set kind of the stage for how Roger Moore's like tenure of Bond was going to go. He was already 45 and everything. So you had this, the fights were always like <laughs> him blocking. And it was a lot of like what you would could like judo or like it, you were meant to believe like as a, as a fighter, Connery was like a brawler. Like he could go just like, he was like, I'll go fish to cuffs with you. And like, you know, the knuckles out and everything. I'm having name stupidity here. The bad uh, martial artist with the ponytail. Steven Seagal. Yeah, he was like the Seagal Bond. Yes. Like he was, when you watch his... As an as an older man. Yeah. As an it, older white man. He was whatever Seagal's judo is or whatever he does. Like, that was what he was trained in. There's a lot of weird blocks. There was a lot of bad throws. Like, it just wasn't... He, you could tell he wasn't doing any of his own they, stunts. <laughs> they, and they come right out of the gate firing. They go with a, you know, Caribbean dictator, Dr. Kananga. They bring in voodoo. You know, tarot cards, the, you know, mystic type stuff. Yeah, not this. a bad movie. No, no I, I mean, but it. like, they weren't even, they were just like, we're, we got to go big and something different. Can't just fight the Russians. All the time, they're like, well, what about like black voodoo priests? And they're like, I like it, keep going. And then we just have Bond karate chop 
a bunch of guys like perfect. And then we're going to throw in this guy named Sheriff J.W. Peppa, oh, who's the Louisiana fucking state police and he during gets a inter- Bayou boat chase. Yeah, he gets introduced in the boat, oh, the boat chase, isn't it? He's fucking like, he's boss hog. He's like, I do declare these boys are out here swamp boat racing. I don't think J.W. made his way into the books. I don't think no. that was a Fleming thing. No. But... And then you almost feel like you're like, well, fuck, is that what like the British think of us? Like when they were watching it or the British watching that being like, that's America. Yeah. Whenever somebody in America watched it, like, oh, shit, there's another Louisiana Southerner. And then when people in Britain watch it, they're like, that could be anywhere in America. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that That's all America is. It's just swamps for boat racing and then voodoo priests. That could be a guy from Washington. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Then uh, they followed up with The Man with the Golden Gun, probably one of the most iconic movies. Weirdly enough, though, it's just this weird cat and mouse. Like, he's not really, like, an overarching villain. He's just trying to, like, kind of kill Bond. Yeah, he didn't really have any plans for world domination. It was just... He was just hired or was trying to kill Bond or something like that. Um, Christopher Lee, the guy that played Saruman in Lord of the Rings and everything, he is the guy that played Scaramanga. Really? Yeah. Wow. He's also one of the only people, the only cast of Lord of the Rings to actually have met J.R. Tolkien. He was also a spy in World War II. And a little fun fact for you, during Lord of the Rings production, uh, his character gets stabbed in the back and he makes this noise and they cut. Peter Jackson is like, um, I don't, that would seem kind of like over, I don't think a man would sound like that when he got stabbed in the back. He's like, have you ever stabbed a man in the back? Peter Jackson's like, no. And he's like, I stabbed a man in the back in World War II to kill him. He's like, that's what they sound like. Peter Jackson's like, fair enough. Um, Hard to argue that. Also, one of the most memorable things where you still get callbacks to it. De plane, boss, de plane. You get tattoo. The little tiny guy. Yeah. The you always think mentor. Fantasy Island. I think That's fan- exactly. Yeah. That's where you get it. Yeah. Um, but he was the guy that kind of like ran Scaramanga's Island. I love when they show him running around to like the control panels and he has to jump up onto like the high chair and like reach across to do shit. There again, just wild, blatant, just stereotyping. No fucks given. given. And that's going to be a common theme throughout a lot of these. You got to laugh at it because of the absurdity. Mm Because it just, it's just, like you say with everything else, it's like, yeah, that's Bond. Um, You get the spy who loved me. This one is... I love this movie, actually. I just love the plot of it. You get, like, this ship. It was, like, peak, like, it it was, so, it it got more ridiculous in Moonraker, but this was leading toward it. You had, like, an oil tanker ship that could open up and, like, track nuclear subs and, like, capture it. They want to capture one of them, the Soviets, the United States, make each other seem like they're going to war, launching their missiles, and then it's all as this set up for a plan by, um, fuck, what's the bad guy's name? It is... God damn it. Oh, what is his name? Why am I drawing a blank on this? I know this one too. Do, do, do. Oh, uh, Carl Stromberg. He's like a shipping tycoon. So basically he's trying to design an underwater society where he'll basically bring in all... It's a Noah's Ark type shit. He's bringing in people that can rebuild society and everything in his own image. And he was going to wait for all the nuclear war to happen and everything. Stromberg had a, a very like... uh pure race kind of feel to him, didn't he? Oh yeah. And that's going to continue, right? That's the that's, plot of Moonraker. That's Fleming though. That's, that's gotta be Fleming's influence because you're talking about sort of Nazi ish 
You're going to go, you're going to write what you know. Yeah. And like what, who the bad guys are. So I, I truly believe that that is a full on like legitimate Fleming influence of what mm-hmm. he knew as far as from where he was. Oh, definitely. So yeah. And just the, the set pieces of that movie were awesome. Like the underwater base that rose up and everything. That's where you got Jaws was introduced as the henchman. And he was introduced in that tremendous, uh, driving scene, right? I'm trying to remember. Because it was in that scene, he first. Yes. Because he first, they get it's tracked the by the, the motorcycle. And then the helicopter for, comes well, in. Well, it was the motorcycle first. And then this it is was. This is the Lotus, right? Yeah. Okay. The Lotus Esprit, yeah. And Jaws comes up. Jaws ends up firing all of his bullets out of his gun. And then he drives up to the other henchman that's following him and yanks the gun out of his hand and starts shooting. Mm-hmm. And then after they get rid of Jaws. Then the helicopter comes in. That's right. And they jump off, turn it into the submarine, and then it has the little rocket launcher that launches out of the top. That's right. Yep. Um, fantastic movie. But again, we're getting into like more of the ridiculousness, but that's what starts making it more fun, especially oh, yeah. growing up like as a kid and everything. Again, I think his body count for... And, and all of these movies end with the same thing. And they've done it up until I think really the... Up until the um, Craig movies. Oh, yeah. The movie ends with Bond sleeping with whatever the the Bond girl of the movie ends up happening. And usually they are in an escape pod or something like that. And then they're discovered by, like, their superiors who have, like, teamed up. And if they're, like, one's working for – in this movie, one was working for the Russians or something like that. She was, like, Agent Double X. And I remember in the scene they – get him out of the escape pod and they're like already having sex. Yeah. And he's like, double Oh seven. He's like, triple X. <laughs> and he just pulls the curtain back. And he's like, we're banging. <laughs> All right. Now we get to, I think what is, it's one of the fucking craziest. I don't think it's the worst. I think it's the no. most fucking ridiculous no. batshit crazy bond. And that's why it's so fun is Moonraker. It's the most absurd bond, but it's far from the worst. This, did you know there was another movie lined up um, prior to Moonraker coming out? I think it was For Your Eyes Only. And they were trying to uh, capitalize off of the popularity of like Star Wars. So they're like, we got to, we got to do space is a big thing right now. We got to send Bond to space. And just the, the stuff in this movie, like from the, the start of it where. (sighs) This just makes me so happy to talk about the start of the movie. When he's up in the plane, and or actually no, because the start of the movie is when they're transporting the spaceship on top of the jet. Yes, which is real. Yeah, which is which is how they do it. Mm-hmm. But these two like mute secret agents are already in the space shuttle. Yeah, they somehow snuck aboard the space shuttle which inside is very the small. giant rolling bunks. They just pulled up the sheets uh, yeah, and were something... just able to. So, <laughs> so and. It's like apparently at a time when we just loan our space shuttles to like other countries because like the British would have the space shuttle. And they're like, we're returning it to the the Americans. Like they had to have the space shuttle for some reason. And yeah, like you're saying, these two <laughs> mutes end up hijacking, getting into the cockpit of the shuttle. The shuttle's fueled. Yeah. And there's no fail safes to, to keep this it's, thing from it's going. Good to take off. And basically fly the <laughs> shuttle off of the fucking plane, destroying the plane. While uh, somehow landing the space shuttle. Yeah, they, in parts unknown. They got it back. 
Now we pan to, again, the ultimate, just where you first get introduced to Bond in every movie. He's They're buttoning themselves back up on a private jet after he just humped the stewardess. This is not a big plane. No, very small plane. This is plane. like a five-seater. A lot of folks on this plane for it to be that small. Here's my question. So after he he gets done banging this chick, who's obviously working for the bad guy. Oh, yeah. He The pilot then comes out, holds him at gunpoint. I guess the thing here is you get him undressed, get him with his guard down. Hey, he just banged. He's in his refractory period. Yes. He's, he's at his most vulnerable. Yeah, he's Bes- sleepy. He besides be... his vinegar strokes, he's <laughs> ready for a sandwich and a nap. So everyone's putting on parachutes. He gets in a fight with the cap or whoever was flying the plane, the guy with the gun. <laughs> the door ends up opening. And as they're wrestling by the door, Jaws... Somehow the largest man in the entire series, quite possibly the world at this point, besides Andre the Giant, is hiding in this very, very, Again, very this is Mr. Plane. Larson from Happy Gilmore. This guy's like seven feet tall. He somehow sneaks up behind them, like crouched down and shoves them out of the plane. He's already wearing a parachute and everything. So Bond, Bond has, isn't, though. No, Bond no, no. Isn't yeah, the, 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 uh, the pilot, pilot that he was fighting with. So he's still fighting with him in the air. Ends up fighting him off, getting the parachute off of him, kicks that guy away. Then as Roger Moore gets the parachute on, he's got Jaws skydive chasing him, (laughs) grabs him, like tries to bite his leg. And then Bond pulls his chute and gets away. And then Jaws goes to rip his chute and ends up tearing the fucking rope off of it. Yep, because he's just a big dumb oaf. Yep. And then he ends up, which, did you look at the actors when they were doing the skydiving scene? Yeah. Like... the most obvious, like, stunt people. Of course, They're, you're not going to have your actors doing this, but, like... No, Jaws was, like, three different heights. Yes. He, he grew and shrunk. <laughs> and you could just see, like, a mouthpiece of metal. I don't know. The, yeah, yeah, I don't know if it was the, al- the altitude that made him shrink or what, but yeah. he was definitely changing sizes. So Jaws falls from a flight height, a plane, and into a conveniently placed circus tent. Before falling into the conveniently placed surface or circus tent... He starts to flap his wings. Yes. Like a bird. Mm-hmm. Like a big giant man bird. He thinks Like Looney Tunes f- style. Yeah, flapping mm-hmm. his wings. The only thing missing was the sound of like the. Yeah. And then that leads right into the circus music that they play as he crashes through the circus. Yes. Moonraker, which is just a version of Goldfinger. It was the same woman that was singing it, I think. They really phoned it in on the Moonraker. There was a woman that sang three different Bond songs. I think it was Goldfinger, Moonraker, and then one in between or something. But yeah, Jaws is fine after that. Uh, yeah, we'll get back to him making a reappearance here. But So we enter what essentially the plot of the movie is. This guy who is a somehow like a tycoon or something um, supplies all of the world's space shuttles at a time when there wasn't even a, a space shuttle known to the world, which that's a crazy fact. Did we already talk about that? Uh, yeah, this this was before the, the NASA launch of the space shuttle. So, and, and the space shuttle looked exactly like it. NASA had actually allowed the um, like prop designer was ever, whatever to uh, see the space shuttle. They were going to actually release like the space shuttle, what it looked like as part of like the movie promo and stuff, and mm-hmm. be like, this is what it really looks like. Space shuttle and veil got pushed back, and so this movie was actually inadvertently... <laughs> And then you had people being like, did they fucking design our space vehicle <laughs> off, the, off Moonraker? <laughs> did Roger Moore have anything this? to do with this? Yeah. So this guy, apparently his entire industry is based off of like making space shuttles. He's got this insane factory. Yeah. And the factory, it, it just makes zero sense. 
Yes. Like, it it has things in there, like it has a, a G G test or whatever. Well, he was training all zone astronauts. Yeah. Listen, a centrifuge this is the chamber. beauty of Moonraker is it doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, and that's the brilliance of it is Drax is the villain. He flies out to Drax's Hugo compound. Drax. Hugo Drax. Yeah, flies out to his space shuttle building, which I think is in Los Angeles or somewhere it, like that. He has places all over the world. Oh, I thought it was back stateside where they where he goes and meets Drax. Oh, no, it is. It's like San Francisco. It's supposed to be – or Los Angeles. I think you're right. It's like supposed to be yeah. L.A. And then they show that scene of them flying over it. And it looks like a goddamn, just like the an enormous thing you've ever seen. Yes. It looks like a goddamn Lockheed Martin factory. And then somehow he gets all of his space shuttles in secret down to like his secret space shuttle launching facility in Brazil, uh-huh. hidden in the jungle. Doesn't make any sense. No. Which this, this movie is just made to not make sense. So no, my, my favorite, well, do we want to talk about the centrifuge? Just yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's what I was getting ready to get to. So the first, um, I'm trying to think, does Bond hook up with anybody? He hooks up with the stewardess. Not uh, he hooks up with the stewardess. He Ooh, gets flown. Attendant. They were stewardesses at uh, that yeah, time. They were stewardess back we're, then. we're trying to keep accuracy. Spirit here. appropriate. Yeah. Um then he ends up meeting up with the super hot helicopter pilot. That's what I was gonna say. So that's the next one, and that's Drax's supposed to be his henchwoman. So uh-huh. we're getting into this trope. Um he ends up like hooking up with her, turning her somehow and getting her to like Sneak not into yet, Drax's though. room. Not not before the, the centrifuge incident. That's right. So prior to that, he has a contact he's supposed to go meet at Drax's company, Dr. H. Goodhead. Just a astounding creative last name. Yeah, yep. And he goes into like the lab and everything, and he's like, I'm here to see Dr. H. Goodhead. And this woman's like, Holly Goodhead. And he's like, a woman. The- just the most sexist <laughs> reaction that you would ever see. He's like, a woman. Like, women could be doctors? Like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> just the simple fact that, like, it had to just, the, the movie had to let you know at that point. It's like, Roger Moore is still that fucking misogynist <laughs> asshole that you've known for the last five movies. In seeing the scene, he could have said nothing. His eyebrows said everything. Yeah. The, the genuine look of surprise, like it was almost like Roger Moore didn't even know that yes. it was going to be that way and it happened and it was like a genuine reaction. Yeah. So he finds out that this Drax guy is suspected of, you know, uh, nefarious shit, takes him all over the world. Um, oh, okay. The centrifuge part. So they walk him into the astronaut, what you would consider like the thing that spins to simulate gravity. Yep. And Dr. Goodhead is like, do you want to try it? And he's like, sure, why not? What can go wrong here? Oh, we should probably get to what the gadget that he's been issued yeah. prior to this. So he goes back after um, Jaws makes his... Uh, circus debut. Yeah, circus debut off the trapeze. Uh, Bond heads back to MI6. He heads back to headquarters. He meets up with Q. Q gives him the most absurd wrist bracelet that you'll just ever see. It was um, activated by... Nerve impulses. Nerve impulses in your wrist. Think of like it's Spidey's web shooters. Yeah. Except it's fucking enormous. And then it holds one dart. Some, well, it held... He was given five darts that were armor-piercing and five darts that were cyanide yes. tip. Yes. But it holds one dart at a time. Yeah, so, well, I mean, yeah. How are you switching back and forth between the two? Exactly. And well, how do you know just, what to have it loaded with? Yeah, just make them all explosive. Yes. Do something like that. There's a, a test fire where he shoots the dart into the picture of a horse's ass. 
It's in M's office. Yeah. Yeah. And M is like, 007. Just the most <laughs> just, absurd just shit. Just the weird shit. Like, that's seen. all they ever said to, like, Bond. Like, you're incorrigible. <laughs> oh, Bond. <laughs> so, he, oh, of course, he's wearing this. And so, uh, Dr. Goodhead gets him into the centrifuge. And she's telling him, she's like, uh, astronauts uh, can take up to, like, 7 Gs. The most they can take is, like, 13 or 14 12, or something. I think is what it was. And then he has this button. What do they call it? The chicken switch or something uh-huh. like that. And it's a button you hold down, and when you want it to stop, you let, you let pressure off the button. So- Un- unbeknownst to Dr. Goodhead and James, uh, Drax had enlisted his small Korean – this was the guy I was talking about. His yes. small is- Korean Seth Rogen-esque um, – do you say Seth Rogen is? It, that's what he looks like to me. He really? looks like Korean Seth Rogen. But his name is Chang, I believe. And he's dressed in like a kimono. Like it's just the most stereotypical. The bowl cut yeah, kind of. The, the bowl yes, cut. It's, it's all extremely. The most stereotypical shit ever. I'm just glad he didn't have big teeth. But he sneaks into the. Um, it is Chang. Chang? Yeah. Yeah, that, that seemed like it was fitting for that. Chang's an ambiguous enough name he he just walks into like so it's a circular room and then it's got like the control room that like has windows that overlook Uh it he just goes into the control room and like he nudges the guy and he's like hey take lunch dr goodhead at this point also has to take a call back in the laboratory so Mm -hmm. she leaves as roger moore is loaded up into the centrifuge and chang is at the controls and roger moore can see him like you think you'd recognize the haircut anywhere anywhere in in his defense it was an Asian guy that was also at the control panel before, not wearing a wearing a white shirt, not a blue kimono. <laughs> so I don't know if there's confusion there. And you might be asking, hey, why is this guy already trying to like do something bad to Bond? So like Drax already knows the Bond is there and suspects something. And Drax doesn't like he's not one of those villains that like is really like threatening. No. But he always like has really good one liners. And so he's like before like Dr. Goodhead goes to show him the centrifuge. He's talking to Chang. He's like, see that some harm comes to him. He's an ominous man. That's got like a poor French accent. Someone said something about him and I can't get out of my head. He looks like a, t- a big Peter Dinklage. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Doug Benson said that. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm glad we listened to that same yeah. one. Okay. Um, so he ends up basically, he's trying to kill Bond, right? But he's, like, milking yeah. the shit out of this and really taking his time. So, like, he starts controlling it. And, like, after, like, Dr. Goodhead gets in loaded, and she's like, oh, I've got a call from Mr. Drax I have to go take. <laughs> so she leaves. Very convenient. Yeah. And so she ends up leaving. So this guy starts just, like, very, like, meticulously just raising the dial to get him to, like, not a full crank to, like, 20, no. just to fucking kill him. No. Uh, this is another, like, the first of the odd trying to kill bonds that just doesn't ever work out. But he's just like cranking it up a little and you get past seven. You're like, oh no, that's what the astronauts train at. <laughs> and then it starts creeping up and you can see Roger Moore's old ass face getting fucking like... So bad. Like if you're not trying to show his age, why are you trying yeah. to do this? Because you can see all the loose skin like going back. It, it looked like the uh, the atomic bomb in um, Indiana Jones. Yes. When it goes off and it just sucks everything. But it, yeah, he, he yes. looks like he almost like a little bit of uh Marvin home alone too. Mm-hmm. Like he's almost a skeleton. The he, face is pulled back very bad. Yes. So like he ends up getting up to like 10 and he's still trying to be like badass. So then he like, let's go the switch and he's pressing the switch and it's not working, which is there like a switch? Oh, why is there a switch override? Uh, Chang cut the wires. 
That how, was the first move before he got into the control center was he cut the wires. Did he? Did it show him do that? Yeah, he cut the oh, wires okay. to the chicken switch so it wouldn't work. He okay. disabled it. Okay. And so all of a sudden we get up to like 16 now. Bond is over like the 14 limit that would normally kill people. And he somehow remembers in a, like a weird flashback, 007, your wrist-mounted rocket fucking gun or whatever and he uses that to like hit something luckily on the inside of the centrifuge perfect fire somehow he had the the wrist control to fire it Mm -hmm. it hits something mechanical and just stops thank god yeah just the craziest thing ever and that's when benson says that the korean joe or the korean seth rogan i went back and watched it and it was just all i could see just spot on and then like chang when he's doing it after like it stops working he doesn't even like look sad he's just like oh yeah and just walks away like there was there was zero care about it but i'll have another chance he has to go back and report to drax yeah and as great as that scene is probably the most badass thing that he does comes next when they go out to the shooting range oh what bond does yeah it's so obvious that like they're trying to here's what i don't get like in a lot of situations, I think the other thing with the the Roger Moore era was that he knew that they were trying to kill him and he was communicating and like walking with the guy that was trying mm-hmm. to kill him. And so there was a known understanding that these guys were trying to kill each other. Yeah. Yet they were just being weirdly ambiguous about it. It was like chess. Like they yes. were playing chess. So they're walking out and they're getting ready to go on like a pheasant hunt and Bond's not going to go with them. And he's walking with um, Drax and as they're walking, you see this guy climb up into this tree with, like, a hunting rifle. Mm-hmm. And Drax is like, why don't you give it a shot, Mr. Bond? I don't know why I'm using, like, a Because that's what voice. he sounds like. He's, Mr. Bond, give it a shot. And um, some birds fly up for Bond. He takes it, misses the birds, and then just goes and somehow aims at the guy in the tree and shoots. And he's like, it appears you missed. He's like did I? And the guy falls down dead yeah, out of the, the tree. The, the dead sniper just falls out of the tree. Like, Drax sees it, and he just, like, doesn't bat an eye. He's just like, oh, farts. Well, and then he hands the gun back to Drax and walks away. Like, if Drax just wanted him dead, and it was going to be he a He had, like, accident. 50 other guys out there. He could be like, yeah. hey, kill this guy. Yeah, just turn around and pump one in his back as soon as he turns around. But, but, like you say, it's that understanding of, like, we both know that our job is to kill each other, but we're just not going to do it in front of everybody. Yes. And so Bond ends up, like, leaving, and this is where the helicopter pilot that he had previously seduced... Yeah, that's where we missed it, was there was the seduction after the G-forces where he beds her, Mm -hmm. he gets information from her, and then she comes back to report to Drax. Isn't that where he just, like, without even talking to her, he just, like, grabs her, like, tie and, like, undresses her? No, he... He tells her that her services are no longer needed, and then he points to the forest, mm-hmm. and he sends her out to the forest. No, no, no I'm and, saying Bond. Oh. When Bond seduces her. Yeah, yeah, when he, yeah. He, he just, like, yep. leans over on the couch with her and just, like, literally pulls uh, the tie to her shirt, and he's like, that's gotta go? Somehow the tie was attached to yeah. all the clothing. So he ends up, like, she ends up taking him into, like, Drax's room or, like, office, and he finds some information or something. He some takes shit. a picture of the glass manufacturer. That's right. And then as Bond is leaving this hunt in his car... He basically releases her onto the woods to run and then has Chang. Yeah, Drax. And then has Chang chase her down with like fucking dogs and kills her. Yeah, two dogs. And she's she's still dressed to perfection running out in the woods. Like there wasn't any sort of like knowledge of this. And then she just gets offed by these dogs. Maybe this goes toward and even, even leans more believability to the Bond is a different guy. Because at this point, if Bond is supposed to be the same guy how do you not know that you're getting these women killed? Or maybe like you're just leaving these women that, you know, have turned on these guys and just been like, ah, fend for yourself. (laughs) 
so to good, you now. So good luck. You made all these choices mm-hmm. yourself. So, hey, at what point do you just start telling these women, so, hey, I know we've slept together. You just might want to, like, leave. <laughs> <laughs> my, my track record states if you're going to stay, you're going to die in some horrible way. If I know anything about me, it's that you're marked for death now. Oh. So we get... Oh, we go into Venice now, right? Yep. Yeah, we go into a glass shop in Venice. Somehow he figures out by looking at the picture that he took of the glass company that they were in Venice. This was forever ago. Uh, Shows up in Venice, goes into the glass shop, has an odd conversation with the the woman behind the desk who's also dubbed over, but she's just insanely hot, Mm -hmm. too. Um, She tells him... Glass receptionists don't look like that. Yeah, no, not at all. Maybe in Venice, but she tells him to take a look around. They make a weird sexual innuendo, and then he just walks to the back room. Like he walks back into the factory or the foundry. Like just Venice com- glass inspector. I, it just, yeah, <laughs> it's one it of just, those Bond things where he's like, <laughs> "I'm just gonna go right to the place mm-hmm. where you can't go." But this is also one of the situations where they just go full on stereotype because Chang ends up, of course, meeting him in the glass shop <laughs> in. Not even it's not even using an actual sword. He's using like the wicker training sword and just like tries to kill Bond that way. And you basically just get this fight that is them kind of like wrestling and just throwing each other against these glass shelves. Yeah, and just trying to break as much shit as possible. And then does he end up killing Chang during this confrontation? I think Chang still lives to go another round. You think Chang does? Yeah, I think he reports back to Drax. And he's wearing like full on like training gear, like with the face mask and everything like that, which ends up getting torn off. And then he's like, Chang, I never would have suspected this was you (laughs) haircut. I mean, Chang, like we didn't know that this, who this (laughs) it was. They had to make sure they unmasked him. Um, so basically he's able to track Drax, find out his plot. Um, he's using like a nerve gas. They don't know what he's going to do with it though. So bond ends up going back, meeting up with, uh, it meets up with Q somewhere in like oh, Brazil. Oh, we're not skipping over the gondola. Oh God, yeah. yeah. We're spending a lot of time on this movie, and it's just because it's fucking awesome. Like it's, it makes no sense. But it's fucking. Awesome. There's a gondola scene where they're coming like down out of the. Is it in? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's in, in like, Venice. It's in a canal. And as he's coming down in his gondola. Oh, this gondola. There's two gondola yeah, scenes in this yeah, one. Same gondola, I think. No, no, no. There's the gondola that he is in with the water. Oh, and then the I guess one they are on the mountain countries, huh? that the two gondola yeah. cars. Yeah. <laughs> Go so ahead. He's rolling around in his gondola. You see another gondola come into frame that has a casket sitting on top of it for some odd reason. The casket then opens up to reveal that the top lid of the casket is just littered in knives. And a man sits up, uh, the next assassin sits up out of the casket. And he has like five knives that show up in front of him. He grabs it. He launches the first one over a Bond. It's a miss. And that time before the man can load up his second knife to throw at Bond, Bond grabs the knife, whips it back to him. Doesn't Bond, doesn't he kill Bond's guy first? The first knife is he kills Bond's guy, the, the guy that's pushing the, him. Yeah, the gondola driver. Whatever you call it. Gondolier. Yeah, gondolier. Yeah. <laughs> he kills his gondolier. Roger Moore sends the knife back, kills the guy. He falls back down just perfectly poetically in the casket, and then the casket closes. As that casket closes, they go under like a, a bridge or something, and the casket gets kicked off the top of that gondola. Roger Moore is now in his gondola trying to run it himself. Boom. Turns out it's a super high-powered gondola. It's got, that, he sits and 
he hits a button on the side, <laughs> one panel flips over and it's got like electronics on it. And then he's able, it's actually a speedboat. So now he's fucking in speedboat a gondola. Hoverboat. Huh? Hoverboat too. Not yet. Not, Not yet. yet. So yeah. he has this big chase scene in this gondola where he's like driving it like a speedboat. <laughs> and there's like two other boats coming after him in Venice. He ends up like losing those guys and then goes up to like where boats can get out. Mm-hmm. But of course it's a fucking gondola. The gondola turns into a fucking hovercraft. Who'd have guessed? And looks like a goddamn parade float. And then he's driving this gondola through like the streets of Venice and people are just like, the fuck? You and get then you, humans double taken, you get dogs double taken. And you get a bird double taking. Yeah. And it's basically so bad that it's not a bird double taking, it's a bird looking one direction and then they just reverse it. So it does like <laughs> this weird like fucking like 80s rap video of like. <laughs> yeah. It's there like almost the needs to be a record, an yeah, audible like, like record, record scratch. So the. A lot of a couple of theme here going with boats in this one, because <laughs> after he finds out he gets out of Venice, they find out he's in Brazil or some shit. He's got Drax has got this hidden base like in the Amazon. They send him boat uh, bond with another boat, speedboat, and lo and behold, guess what? On his way down the Amazon, he ends up getting jumped by Jaws. Who'd have guessed? Jaws and is back. Jaws is back, and another couple speedboats that are launching like mortars at him, and they're exploding. But of course, Bond's boat is equipped with torpedoes, mines. <laughs> Um, takes out a few of the pursuing boats, and all of a sudden, what's that in front of him? It's a waterfall. Oh, no. <laughs> He's in a speedboat. What's he going to do? Well, he unzips, like, the bimini top in the boat and everything. It turns into a goddamn paraglider, and he just paraglides himself up over the waterfall out of the boat, which you never see his boat go over. Uh-uh. Despite, like, 90% of his boat still being there on the water. <laughs> and then as he flies away to safety, you get the fucking comical wah-wah with Jaws, where he's looking at the guy driving his boat, and he goes to grab the wheel to turn it and tears the boat off. Just he's like, the most slapstick bullshit. That you yeah, and then he was almost impressed that he tears the wheel off. Mm-hmm. And but- then they just sit there as they're going over, and it's the worst, like, tiny model with like a dummy in it that goes over the fucking It's waterfall. like Team America out there. I'm surprised they didn't dub in his voice going, no. I think they were waiting for the end for him to finally speak, though. Yeah. He just, I, if the Lotus Esprit turning into a submarine after being a car wasn't absurd enough, he just had a gondola that just turned into a paraglider. Mm-hmm. It just hang glides off the side headed straight for the waterfall, just so unnecessarily funny. There is somehow between finding Drax's base, Bond gets into a situation, I'm not sure if it's before or after this, but there's another gondola chase where they're almost like in the Andes or something. It's like a ski resort. There's snow on the top of the mountain. Some places where gondolas just wouldn't be. Like the big carriage gondolas. And him and Goodhead are coming down in one, and one of the bad guys takes over the control panel and stops it right next to another gondola that has jaws in it. And they get on the roof and basically have to try to fight on the roof. And you've got like five foot eight Roger fucking at this point, Roger Moore is in his fifties, like probably like 55, 56 is fighting with this giant man on top of a gondola. (laughs) And he ends up pulling the old move where he grabs his belt and grabs the girl and throws it over the cable. And they fucking zip line down the gondola like well, that hasn't been done a million times. Yeah, I mean, but it's going to work, obviously. Yeah, yeah, every time. It's the belt's designed by Q Branch, Adam. It's supposed to do <sighs> stuff like this. Richard Keel, seven foot two. There you go. Jaws, seven foot two. So they then take Jaws's gondola and speed it up to try to catch them ziplining down it. Well, then they just pull the old drop off the line into the uh, very soft meadow, apparently, that's right underneath the gondola. <laughs> and then Jaws's gondola can't slow down enough and just crashes. Of course, he survives. He's Jaws. 
And when he gets up... He's made of metal. And when he gets up, he meets a girl. And she's kind of like this weirdly hot, but like stereotypical what you would think like the nerdy girl. Like she's in her like 20s and she's got pigtails and like the big glasses and everything. She's been to band camp. Oh, yeah. But then you get the... Uh, that music that they always use when two people see each other and like are in love. The da, na, 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 And they just join hands and like walk away together without saying anything. And then Bond and Goodhead are like sitting, watching from like the hillside that they fell on. They're like, oh, good for them. Just the fucking. Maybe he'll stop trying to fucking murder us. Yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> maybe we're safe now. So they end up finding Drax's base. And this is an exact ripoff of the previous movie Drax's whole plan is he's gonna he has all these beautiful women and like all these perfect couples at his base and he's gonna use them launch them into space and then nerve gas the planet the nerve gas only affects just humans it doesn't even affect animals after everyone's dead they're gonna then come back to earth and live and he has like seven fucking space shuttles that he's gonna launch in the middle of the Amazon launches them into space thank god Holly Goodhead is a astronaut, a trained yeah, thank, astronaut. Thank and also heavens. we find out earlier, a CAA operative. Yep. She's a double agent. So they end up hijacking one of the, like the last space shuttle to pilot it. They get up into space and find out what Drax has somehow been able to create an entire floating like space station without anybody <laughs> knowing what's going on. And you get all of these people docking with the space station. And guess what? is the United States is able to do within literally minutes as a response team. They found out about these space shuttle launches. They got a space shuttle on standby too, loaded with space Marines, space, yeah, space Marines, space, space ninja seals. They're, they're headed up spacey seals. Yep. This is space force before space force, yeah. space force. And let's not forget that we already have space lasers because during one of the scenes, when he's walking through <laughs> Q branch, they flash on it for two seconds, just like shooting laser beams. So, they end up getting up into space. James Bond and Dr. Goodhead get found out. All of a sudden, Drax is given a monologue about how he's going to rebuild the perfect race with all the perfect people. And Bond gives this look to Jaws and is like, oh, I'm going to play this guy. He's like, so I guess anyone not fitting your idea of physical perfection doesn't have a place in your new society. He's like, absolutely. And like the bad guy can't see Jaws standing right yep. there. And yep. He's like, absolutely not. They wouldn't have a place. And then all of a sudden, Jaws realizes there's not a place for him and his new special lady friend, who somehow gets a free ride up onto the space shuttle, despite just having met him. Plus one, very Plus, important person. Yeah. You get to come to the spaceship because mm-hmm. I need this big freak up here. So then all of a sudden, Bond and Jaws join forces and start just wreaking <laughs> havoc on the control room, like fighting off everybody. And at that an opportune time, guess what? Space Marines show up. Laser, laser space battle. It's bedlam. It's Made just Star Wars look like shit. Well, do you think that's what it was? Do you think um, they went to George Lucas and like, hey, did you see no. Bond stuff? And he's like, yeah, I think we'll oh, be okay. Yeah. Well, I think Star Wars, I think had, come out, hold Star Wars had come out already come out before yeah. this. But when he saw that, he was just like, yeah, they came to us for help. But <laughs> we said no. <laughs> like, George, do you think this is going to hurt the Star Wars brand? Do you think this is more accurate? George is like, eh, this is fake, but that's definitely not more accurate. <laughs> so you got this, all of a sudden, space space station starts exploding all this shit. Bond ends up killing Drax with his little fucking wrist dart thing. Um, launches Drax, him out of an airlock. Yeah, Drax gets launched out of an airlock. He gets launched out of his own space station mm-hmm. and just floats away into space. But three of these nerve gas bombs have been launched toward Earth. 
party's not over yet. No. So Bond and Goodhead hightail it to one of the last space shuttles. They get in there. Oh, no, locking mechanism. It won't work. All of a sudden, they see Jaws and his girlfriend in the space station. Roger Moore gets on the CB. Jaws, hey, we're cold now? Okay, we can't release the locking mechanism. All of a sudden, he knows how to do that. Gets Highly the space shuttle released. Then their section of the fucking space station literally gets severed. Like, there's airlocks? No. Like, they're going to get sucked <laughs> onto space. And they're just like, they end up heading off toward Earth. Bond's like, it's okay. They're only a couple hundred miles from Earth or some shit. Like, it's like an expectation <laughs> that they'll land safely. Yeah, and they'll land not in the water or anywhere mm-hmm. else. They're just going to land. Like, this is built to survive re-entry. Yeah, yeah. So they take the space shuttle, and thank God this thing is equipped with lasers. Because well, they wouldn't have been able to shoot these things down. Yeah. The other uh, other awesome thing from that Benson listen was they said that from the first explosions on the space station to complete minutes. annihilation was 12, 12 minutes. minutes this thing did. In space. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, in classic Bond fashion, at the end of it, they have the Americans and the command from the British and everything at like Cape Canaveral. And they're watching the video feed. They're like oh, we have a television camera going live in the space shuttle right now, like to celebrate bond and Dr. Goodhead. Of course it's right in the cargo hold yep. where they're laying down like naked in a net with like a, they have a space blanket somehow up there. Rogers just laying. Pipe. Oh yeah. And basically they see them on multiple cameras in there apparently. Cause there's a lot of angle changes. Yeah. And then we get the, the line that, I don't even know how you just leave this in the movie, but the fact that Q is like, I think he's attempting re-entry, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Because of everything else that just happened, that only makes sense. I know. But the fact that like, and then you just want to hear suddenly, 007. And then she's like, James. He's like, yeah. And she's like, take me on one more trip around the world. Like, like space flight is so fucking easy. <laughs> I think that was another bang me again, though. I it think, was. Yeah. Just, she's like, nail me again around the world. But the, they're so cavalier, like no one's flying the shuttle. And like, they're just like, we're just going to keep, we'll keep orbiting, right? Sure. Careening to the earth or orbit. Either way. Yeah. Either way, we're good. Oxygen's not a question at this point. We're using up a lot of oxygen, but our, our little capsule's straight. All right, I got to pee one more time, and then we'll get into current bond. Okay. All right, while we take a break from class and uh, take care of some business, you can also take care of some business. If you don't follow us on Instagram or Twitter already, our Instagram handle is historically high pod. That's historically high pod, and our Twitter is historically high. That's historically hi. All right, and back to our show. All right, back once more. All right, so before we get into the more modern, I guess, or the next guy. I just got to mention of you to a kill. Not only a great song, Duran Duran. Yeah. But Roger Moore's, we got his, it's an homage, it's a, it's a send off and everything. And thank God, because he was about 57. He might've been older at this point. I mentioned the movie because as far as like pure ridiculousness, it's up there in the top three. You yeah. got Christopher Walken as the German genetically engineered, like weird, like, bad guy and his plan is to flood and destroy silicon valley to control like its peak like what is like something that's going to be the future like microchips like how do we make it into a bond villain he's going to have all the microchips (laughs) i'm glad you brought him up because walken's my favorite villain is he and i don't know max zorin yeah i don't know zorin as a villain's a pretty good villain mr bond yeah dude it's just you'll die today mayday 
you can't, his head like a zit. You can't beat Christopher Walken as a villain. He's played so many villains and so many funny villains that now going back and seeing it, like after everything that you've seen, there's like watching it when you're younger before you see all the other Christopher Walken mm-hmm. parts. Yeah. And then you see it again and it's like, that's, yeah, it, it was awful. so like ridiculous. Watch- okay. So it's ridiculous watching it as an adult, but like, like seeing Mayday and everything and being like, what is this I'm looking at? And then maybe having like, oh, she's strong. Like, this is kind of like, why is my why are my pants doing this? <laughs> but just the fact that it had Midge from that 70s show is like the main girl. And she had no point being even in the story. She was like the daughter of somebody. Just a hot chick. Yes. That's all she was. Yes. She was eye candy. A lot of blimps. Um, this is one of the movies that took place in the United States. So, I mean, I'm even kind of putting that to the side. But walking is a bad guy. Roger Moore, basically at this point, his fighting involved like maybe like a kick. Like one, like maybe not even up to like hip height kick and a couple karate chops. He was winded delivering lines. There wasn't going to oh, be yeah. a lot of fighting. And at this point too, this was when, I can't remember, I'm just going to call her Midge. She was still really young. And so I'm talking like mid twenties. So you got like this 57 year old guy that's, it was fucking disgusting. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, so, but I mean, it's the, the climax with basically the blimp exploding and over the Golden Gate Bridge. It, uh, it it had to be mentioned. So it brings a smile to your face. It, yeah, it is. It's a fucking crazy movie. All right, getting into Timothy Dalton. There's not a lot to say about Dalton. No, I I think that he was a fine Bond. I think that his the second probably better than his first. Oh, I thought his first was better than the second. The really? second to me just was, it, it was about like the fucking heroin smuggling, like, and all that kind of That's stuff. That's why I like, kind of liked it. But again, also very poorly stereotypical. The first one, well, I was watching the credits, uh, does have one of the coolest Aston Martins. The yes. one that has the skis that pop out yep. the side and all that stuff. Very niche. Like, you got to be in that exact situation to need <laughs> that Aston Martin. Thank God it was. You definitely had it. Yes. It did have also where they have to ski down the slopes on the fucking cello case, like riding side by yeah. side. A little fucking ridiculous. But the just watching the um the intro, it was like it was the first time like that studio, the editor, had ever gotten a hold of like neon effects. And he was just like, Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> and it's just fucking ridiculous. Like the colors, the song is fucking ridiculous in the living daylights. Um Acid must have been pretty big in that guy's life. Oh yeah. But I think Dalton, being a Bond and everything, he looks like a... He's a very, like... He was serviceable. Yes. Well, he looked like Bond yeah. to me and everything like that. He has a good Bond look. Um, I just think that they tried to go, like, too too far away from the camp. Because there's a scene in that movie where he's, like, holding a Russian general, like, hostage. And one of his bodyguards is coming in. And he literally grabs, like, the woman that's with the Russian general and rips off her robe and shoves her in front of the door. And she's like, oh, oh, and then like the guard opens the door and sees her standing topless, just tits out. <laughs> hey. And then Bond uses that to shoot the guard. And then he tosses the robe and he's like, get in the bathroom, unlock yourself. And it's like, you literally just like traumatized like that. You just like tried to, I thought she was being raped, but it came on a little bit, came on a little bit strong. He's, um, he was a little bit like darker Bond, I think. Timothy Dalton to me looks like um, British Jerry Lewis. Uh, he, uh, mm. Maybe it's just the chin, but he definitely there. He's just he's 
he's so far away from the camp kind of mm-hmm. Roger Moore that we were talking about. He kind of swings the pendulum back into the more serious realm. I kind of, I know I did the whole Roger Moore to the, um, fuck, Adam West Batman. Yeah. I think Timothy Dalton was like the Tim Burton, that first Batman, where it tried to get like yeah. darker and stuff like that. And then I think once you get into Pierce Brosnan, at the beginning, Pierce Brosnan was like Batman Returns in Goldeneye. And then from there, he went into like the neon Batman shit, like the Schumacher ones that nobody likes. So you would say um, Charisma was um, Sean Connery. Mm -hmm. What would you say for Roger Moore? Just the smile inducing. It was just like. It was like the ridiculous, it was ridiculously campy, but in such like a way that like you didn't feel like there were ever stakes. Like you always knew Bond was going to like in those, like it was so ridiculous that it was just seeing how Bond would get out of it. Yeah. Like how funny the plot was and like the, the villains and the henchmen and stuff. So Roger Moore, more like the happy go lucky. Yeah. Low stakes, low stakes entertainment. That's his defining. What would you say for Timothy Dalton? His was just kind of like, forgettable. He was there. He was, yeah, he wasn't even supposed to be there. That's the thing between him and Pierce Brosnan. The only reason that Pierce Brosnan didn't start playing right after Roger Moore was because he had his contract with Remington steel. I think he was supposed to be the next bond. And then I don't know if Roger Moore wanted to do one more and Timothy or not. uh, Pierce Brosnan was like, I'm not waiting around. So he went and did Remington steel, which is a knockoff of James Bond. And then when it came open and Roger Moore was done, I think, the contracts didn't work out. And so they got Timothy Dalton to fill in. And then as soon as I think Pierce Brosnan was ready and out of that contract, I think that's when they moved him in. And so that'll move us into GoldenEye, which... It was my first Bond. Here's the thing. I don't didn't even really watch the Timothy Dalton ones because my mom wasn't a fan. Yeah. It, like, it was all Roger Moore. Yeah. And so the first new one that I saw when I was old enough, that was when I was 10 and when GoldenEye came out. And that was, like... That was just cool as shit because it was, like... I don't know. It was like, it wasn't campy. It, it had the camp too, as far as like dialogue and stuff like that. But like Goldeneye from setting it up for that first scene where he jumps off the, you're just like, Oh shit. Like Goldeneye. Yeah. He, he was the one where I was talking about earlier. I think before we started recording, he's like the mark out guy for me. When he first gets introduced and he's I forget. Oh, he's in the casino and he's playing Baccarat, which I wish I could understand Baccarat. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't get it. But after he gets done and beats the first villain lady. Xenia. Yeah, Xenia. Mm-hmm. And then um, the guy comes up to talk to him and <laughs> ask him if he would like a drink. And as soon as you hear it, you know what's coming out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. And you just, like, you mark out for a second. Like, you're a wrestling fan, and this is 1997. And it was 95. At, when? When the game, or when the movie came out. Oh, yeah. As far as, like, wrestling fan, though. Oh, okay. Like, this is when The Rock asks somebody if you like pancakes. Okay. You 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 know what's coming next, mm-hmm. and you're just so excited to hear it. And as soon as he says, martini shaken, not stirred, you just immediately, you're like, yes, this is what I'm here it's for. Like, Fuck martini shaken, not stirred. Without uh, breaking eye contact with her. Like... Just make me my drink. I don't even have yeah, to know it's, it's the most throwaway line, the way that he says it, mm-hmm. but everybody in the movie theater is waiting for it because that's just what you've come to expect. Yeah. And he, like I say, he's my first Bond, 
He's just the prototypical look to him. He's got the accent to it. He fits so well in a tux that it's just, it's like it was made for him. I think when we get to the Daniel Craig ones, I'll focus more on trying to remember the opening scenes for those. But I do think that the golden eye opening scene out of all the Bond opening scenes is the coolest just because of what it did. Seeing that once he gets through, you know, the Russian chemical place and like 006 gets killed or whatever. That was also when like, you were like, oh, these guys are machining gun, machine gunning people. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't like going to be worried about the body count, like Bond or anything like that. Fast this isn't just, I have a Walther it. PPK and I'm just going, and I'm shooting a couple guys a movie. Like, so the plane that's taken off down that runway that he has to then chase down with the motorcycle and jump off at the same time as the plane and then free fall and chase the plane down and then yeah. pull up and everything. I don't know if it was just the age that I saw it at, but because that was so much like crazier and looked more realistic than anything I'd seen in the Roger Moore ones, that was just like, oh shit. It had to be because rewatching it and seeing it now, it's just like, this is garbage. When he starts getting down near the plane, it shows him getting closer. You're like, this is obviously green screen. Yep. You're like, but like when the actual skydiver jumps off with the plane, that's real. Yeah. You just don't see, you know, you're not close enough to see what it is. So like even watching that part, that, you're just like, whoa, but then you see him next to it and you're just like, oh, I can see this looks fake now. But at the time, you're like, this still, you're still it's in completely it. real to a child. Oh, yeah. Eyes. Um, no, I think Brosnan, and I think that was an awesome the tank chase. Yeah. Like that hadn't been done. And like it, it but it was still not like ridiculous. It stripes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the Seppies were awesome. The whole plot was awesome. Um, decent Bond girl. Not just saying that she was a beautiful and everything like that, but just kind of what she I brought to the table. Yeah. And then let's see, what was his body count? This one, he sleeps with a girl at the very beginning. The hat that's, and he's driving the DB five. Oh, that did make an appearance in this. He went um, when he's driving next to the Ferrari. DB five, and then the next one was the Z three. The next one was BMW. No, in this movie it was. Remember, he's driving the DB5 when he's racing Xenia in the Ferrari oh, the yeah. first time. Okay, so it's the throwback with it. Yes, and he pops, and all of a sudden he has champagne on ice, like in the center console. That's, That's when right. he ends up sleeping with the chick that was sent to evaluate him. We still haven't shaken that yet. That, no. That's, oh, the, and the sex is still in full force. And here's the thing, too. One of the most memorable, like, like villains, like in how she kills people. You're seen as a, yeah. a 10, ten year old. This guy getting fucked, this guy fucking this chick, and she ends up like crossing her legs up on him and killing him. And then she tries to do it to Bond a couple times. Mayday makes you excited in a weird bodybuilder kind of way. And if you had a reaction to watching her wrap her thighs around somebody's neck and kill them, mm-hmm. that told you something about your future, too. Mm-hmm. You were definitely going to be into a shirt. So I guess things. I'm going to be into this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so then we move on to Brosnan and this first one, not like a huge, huge gadget movie. He had like the little belt, the fired, the grappling hook and his watch could do some shit and everything. And then the pen grenade was about as much as it crazy as it got. So mo- <laughs> I, I got to look it up. Keep going. But there's something about the watches and Roger Moore that it just seems so fitting. And I forget what his watch of choice is. You know something that always bugged me about the Roger Moore movies, looking back on him? Huh. He wore so much khaki. He always wore, like, a khaki pants and, like, a, a navy blazer. It was never, like, the black 
or anything like that. Yeah, he wore the tuxedo sometimes, <laughs> but otherwise, he just looked like he was in Boca. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like going to like nice dinner in Boca. Yeah, he, he could have been coming from a Buffett concert. Mm-hmm. You, you just don't know. So um, then we get to uh, Die Another Day. So yeah, just before that, he, he wore a lot of Rolexes. Um, he wore his main brand. It's just, it's escaping me. Omega? Yes. Oh. Yes, Omega. But... Roger Moore got a full run of Seiko watches. Ooh. Roger Moore was the first Bond to have an analog or to have a uh, digital watch. Ooh, and which it the sounds, future is here. Yeah, it sounds fancy and for the time, but now when you think of it, like a classy watch is the rubber always, strap on it. <laughs> yeah, dude. Roger Moore's wearing a G-Shock. <laughs> he might as well have been wearing a, a Swatch watch at that point. That's like, when he could like wrist communicator when he could talk into yeah. it and shit. It's got a calculator and shit on it. Like that's mm-hmm. how seriously they took Roger Moore. Everybody else His got tiny Rolexes. little 007 themed camera that had zero zero seven on it with the lens. Everybody else got Omegas and Rolexes. They're like, what do we do for Roger Moore? Uh, could he win this at a Pojo's? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Let's throw it on him. So Die Another Day. It's an all right movie. Uh, typically the first Bond movies for me are the best, but like this one, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's again, it's trying to make it relevant for what's like, could be popular or, um, like threatening at the time. So it's like a news media mogul and he has a warship, an invisible stealth warship that he's like trying to end up create war between like Britain and China to like increase news ratings. Only one man can stop him. There's a decline in the Bond songs at this point too. Who did this one? Was this, this, uh, the girl from garbage? Yeah. I think she was the last decent one. Or she might have... And then... I know Madonna did one. I can't remember. That one was bad. Oh, Madonna did one for Die Another Day because she was in Die Another Day. And after that, it was like Chad Kroger and... <laughs> no, it, was, it wasn't It was Chad Kroger. It was the guy from Soundgarden. You sure? For uh, for Casino Royale, that you'll know my name. It's not Kroger? It's not, dude, they wouldn't get the guy from fucking, don't do that. You're going to upset me. No, it wasn't. Sometimes you got to poke the beast. Don't do that. I'm, now I'm trying to think of his name. Chris Cornell. Okay. It was Chris Cornell. I got the, the Fucking C's. easy. I, I Go easy. <laughs> God damn it. Throw me out of my groove. Um, die another day. Here's the thing I don't get. So we get Terry Hatcher. Terry Hatcher's hot. Terry Hatcher's still hot. We get her as a Bond girl. Yep. Here's what I don't get. She's like the girlfriend of this media mogul guy, but she slept with Bond before. Like she's a, like, what are the chances? Like, does Bond go at certain points and part of his mission is to just go try to sleep with a ton of women that like are higher in society. So at some point they might be dating the supervillain he's after. He seems to know a lot of these women. You don't think he's doing research? That's what I'm saying. Is that part of his research? Well, you have. Ends up getting her killed because he sleeps with her again. Yeah. Knowing full well that they're going to find... This guy is a meat... Is, surveillance is his game. And you think he's not going to find out about you sleeping with his girlfriend and not kill her. She ends up dead. Then Bond almost gets his like dick cut off or something. They're going to torture him or do something to him. Another slow kill that he Another escapes. slow kill that he, he somehow escapes. He saves the day, kills the bad guys. Everyone goes home and he ends up sleeping with some... Uh, like the Chinese secret agent. That We're not going to skip over Halle Berry. We're not to Halle Berry yet. Okay. We're getting into Halle Berry. We still got another movie before Halle Berry. She's in Die Another Day, isn't she? That's the fourth one. We got The World Is Not Enough, which is 
Denise Richards. Okay, yeah. No, we can't skip over Denise, that's yeah. for sure. And and during this time frame, I think, I don't know if we went back. So starting with the Pierce Brosnan movies, uh, M, who had traditionally been played by this actor, it was always a man, um, is replaced by Judy Dench. So you get this, and this is like this new shakeup in the world of mm. Bond. And her and Bond have this weird, like, she thinks he's like... There's a clash. Yeah, because she's like very logistical and like she believes in like she used to be in a friend's like an accountant or something like that. And then he's just basically he's like, I just go around and kill people. And so she doesn't like think he's needed. But then they develop a mutual respect for each other throughout the series. Yeah. He has to save her life in this one. They kind of have to. It's a sort of a love hate relationship. I'm not going to lie to you. Out of all the ridiculousness in this movie, I think the most ridiculous thing is trying to buy Denise Richards as a nuclear physicist (laughs) (laughs) who wears crop tops on like her inspections and stuff. Again, Bond movie. This is kind of the first inclination of the super women that still are around and just still like, holy shit. Yeah. Because Denise Richards can still get it. Like, she's, oh, yeah, genetically she's blessed. Very, very attractive. Hashtag blessed. Uh, yeah. And, and she's kind of the first staying power. Like, the rest of the Bond women have all kind of had their time in the sun. Midge is still good looking, I think. Isn't the woman that plays Midge still hot? I haven't seen her in a really long time. That's true. I'm, I've watched show. a lot of that 70s show recently, so that's when I'm seeing her at that yeah. era. She was great then. And then, uh, of course, Bond saves the day. From a nuclear fallout in Istanbul to interrupt yet again oil trade pipe again oil trade pipelines that old that old chestnut he uh, ends up sleeping with Denise Richards at the end of course and the movie ends with oh her name is Christmas Doctor Christmas Jones and I'm pretty sure they named her this just for this line at the end. <laughs> Because, like, <laughs> of course, like, MI6 is doing surveillance on Bond. They can see his heat signature from a satellite. And all of a sudden, they see, like, another leg pop out the side of the heat signature. <laughs> and he's on top of Denise Richards. And then it goes into the room. And he's like, that's funny. And she's like, what? And he's like, I thought Christmas only came once a year. I was a kid when I heard that and had no fucking clue what that meant. I was probably, when that came out, I was probably 15. And maybe I should have known by that time <laughs> what that meant. But I didn't get that until I did a rewatch like five years later. And I was like, that fucking made it in. Hey, we're in the 90s and we're still doing this shit. Like, yeah. It's still, we're still, hap- it's still happening. All right. And then moving on to Pierce's last go around, Die Another Day was, Jeez. Halle Berry was the only saving grace of that. She was a CIA agent. Come on, think better names. Jinx Mays or whatever her name was was in that I think they were trying to get away from just the obvious that you know what that was her secret agent name that wasn't her real name she knew to make up a secret agent name that's what I'd like to believe because she seemed pretty smart this is where we get the kind of the throwback to the the orange bikini scene too that was it's supposed to be an homage to Ursula Landris when she pops out of the water and everything beautiful homage oh my god um this is the plot where it's a Korean dictator's son that Bond ends up killing in the beginning, or they think he died. James Bond gets captured and tortured for like 18 months by Korea and then gets traded out back to MI6. When they bring it back out, it looks like just a fake beard has grown on him. North Korea. North Korea. <laughs> we need to mention Yes, North, North Korea. Korea. Sorry. Um, the plot ends up being that there's this guy named like Gustav Graves, great villain name, who is actually the the 
Korean like general son who got gene therapy to turn him into this unrecognizable white guy who all of a sudden within the span of like two years has amassed like a billion dollar foundation. I don't know if he took this guy's identity or whatever. And his whole goal is to design a satellite that can fire a beam of light at the earth and take out the demilitarized line and use it as a weapon to essentially unite Korea. I'm not going out of a limb here. One of the worst bonds. Oh, this is just like, we're running out of shit to do. What's, yeah. what's good now? Space lasers. And they're like, yeah. fuck it, space laser it is. This is where yeah. Bond is provided back with the Aston Martin. Hooray, yes. But now the Vanquish is, and the Q even says, like, is the Vanish. And it just fucking turns invisible. It uses, like, the concept of, like, the the TV screens on the outside of it or some shit. Back to Willy Wonka and the chocolate yeah. fucking Mike TV. And we get a... A car chase over a frozen lake against a jaguar with like a chain gun attached to it that's also takes place within like a hotel made of ice and then at some point bond has to jump off of like an ice cliff when the space laser comes down but how does he survive well he ends up using a piece of the car or some shit and a parachute to fucking paris surf down this fucking tsunami wave so bad all in all, the end of the movie takes place on a plane that I think also might take close to 10, 12 minutes yeah. to explode after being heavily, heavily damaged. Um, hey, Bond saves the day and he leaves with Halle Berry and, on a bunch of diamonds. And had the Vanquish not vanished another, like, probably top five Bond car. The Vanquish was gorgeous, too. The, the reintroduction of the Aston Martin alone, yes, but they, you didn't even see it. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. taking away and you're making it, when you could see it, it, it was it great. It. It's like the invisible woman's plane. So that was actually it for uh, Pierce Brosnan because that movie was fucking ridiculous. I think that actually is the worst Bond movie. Yeah, I, I wouldn't argue that. Uh, there's There were some stinkers, but that really felt like it took the cake. And then moving on to the current Bond, uh, well, just ended his tenure, Daniel, or tenure, uh, Daniel Craig. And his movies were basically like, yeah, Christopher Nolan Batman movies for Bond. Started him out in the very first movie. You got to see how he got his double O status. Um, a guy that you actually believed could actually like fight and everything. I, I think he fits the same mold as Brosnan where he just, he looks the part. He's, he looks like Bond. I think they were able to, and I might be completely off on this. So kind of during, in this what happened in the first movie kind of set the stage for all the other movies. It was all one like cohesive story. Like that was one thing about like Connery. They were after like Spectre. They mm -hmm. went after like organizations, but all the movies didn't have a ton of tying in except like a little callback and saying, Oh, this guy worked for us or something like that. Like the Craig movies had like leading towards something like they knew kind of where they wanted to go with it. And so in the first movie, it's when he gets his double O status it's basically him being sent to do, oh, the action scene in the first part of that where he's doing the like construction chase and all of that stuff. Or that might be the scene right after. He gets his double O status before the yeah. intro. Then after, it's that whole action scene where he's like doing the parkour and chasing that guy he's, around. He's a double O seven at that point. I yeah. Um, but yeah, and then just even having it slow down to just do the poker game and still having that have like tension and drama and all that kind of stuff. Probably the worst torture a Bond has ever endured. Are you endured. talking about the chair? When I first saw that man, 
Like, if you guys haven't seen it, basically, they take, the Bond gets captured, they're trying to torture him for information. It's like a wicker chair. Yeah, they strip him naked, put him in a wicker chair, but they cut out the bottom wicker of it, so it's just him hanging, basically, with his fucking balls and his dick. His meat is just down there like a punching bag. And the guy comes in and basically has this big old thick rope with a big old club, like knotted club on the end of it, and basically (sighs) just sits there and swings it under the chair and bashes his fucking nuts. But, like, the torture scene is crazy because you can hear him screaming. He's not giving up the information. But, like, just watching that, you're like, okay, this Bond isn't fucking around. No, and you almost want to, like, scream out, like, just give him the information. (laughs) Leave his dick alone! (laughs) He's had enough. (laughs) There's going to be nothing left. But, like I was saying, like, you never ever got to, like, see Bonds get hurt or anything. And for a good chunk of this movie, for, like, a 10, 15-minute section of the movie, you see him actually, like, in recovery and kind of, like... That kind of shit. It brings a human element to it. it yeah. It takes kind of out of the um, superhero realm and exactly. more into the This calm. is a man, and he ends up falling in love with the woman that's sent on the mission with him. And at first, she's kind of playing. She's being blackmailed into playing for the opposite side. And then she ends up like kind of falling in love with him. And then after he won't give up the information or any something like that, um, they end up running off together. Well... She ends up then having to still fulfill part of her agreement. And in the end, she ends up getting killed while kind of trying to, in a roundabout way, save his life. Yeah, it's it kind of not to say that the Lazenby thing was anything real big with him having a wife. But it's kind of like the first ever human, like, it's almost like love. It it was, and that's the thing, too, is you had Bond, by the end of the movie, before that last action piece where she dies, he was putting in his resignation. So you could have, it was almost a situation where you had, you got to see Bond become Bond, go on this mission, then he was going to be ready to call it quits because he didn't want to do it. And then basically after this happens, <coughs> I was, and I was probably looking, I was probably stoned, too stoned while I was watching it, but I was watching the end part of Casino Royale, and he's like holding her, and then he kind of looks around, and he's got this like crazed look in his face. And I'm trying to think of like what his mindset was on this and how that like I could see how that might have shaped the character. And I might be just chasing, you know, rabbit holes and everything. But I think what that did and what that was intended to do was to show that like that is going to shape his relationships with women going forward. And because he basically trusted this woman, loved her, and he feels like. Because he's not told by M until later, like, why do you think you're still alive? She obviously made a deal to get the money in exchange for your life. And he hears that when he calls back in to basically say, I'm not resigning, I'll be back. And I think, but part of him is like, I feel like she betrayed me. So I think any woman he meets going forward in any of the Craig movies, he's just feeling like he's never going to let himself like do that again until the second to last movie. And then even then, you see in the very last movie, he's still letting that impact him. He becomes a flawed character. Like that's he, the big. That's the biggest thing is like, you know that he's flawed. You see him drinking when he gets mm-hmm. like, like when he gets attacked in that Casino Royale scene. He goes upstairs and pours himself a glass of whiskey just to like calm his nerves. Like you never saw Roger Moore like them having to like do something like that it, it, or see him bleeding. It changed from like the good time Charlie drinker into like this is a coping mechanism. Yeah, exactly. You saw it at a certain point he was addicted to pills and like Skyfall after mm-hmm. he got like wounded and everything, but. I think it was just cooler to see because it was at the time also when like Jason Bourne and people were like, oh shit, that's a lot fucking cooler than all the 
You had a lot more action stars yeah. trying to take the limelight. Yeah. So you almost had to go more realistic to try to bring him into their realm and mm-hmm. then try to one-up him. And I, I think that he does. I mean, he's... Uh, the Daniel Craig Bonds, I think, are the most well-sculpted and scripted of any of them. Yeah. Like, where you get out of the just lunacy. At that point, too, I think after that first movie and them wanting to try to do it in a certain way you've had like a lot of like high caliber directors, whereas like the earlier movies, you had directors that would direct multiple Bond movies until maybe one of them flopped or they got tired of doing it. And then you would have like a writer that had written for the Mm -hmm. previous movies become the director. Second unit director or producer, something like that. And so it was like never, your quality never expanded outside of what that group was capable of. And now you have Bond movies being directed and, you know, Skyfall winning like some awards and all that kind of stuff. But kind of with the, the theme of Bond, so Craig uh, has his second outing in Quantum of Solace. No idea what the fucking title means. I feel like they were just throwing <laughs> fucking words in a wall and waiting for something to be like, Quantum, hmm, that sounds like very techy. And then what's something that we don't, a word that people don't understand? Solace? Ooh, yes. Let's go with that. Have no reference to the movie whatsoever. And we have um, a substantial jump. Because from the production budget for Casino Royale mm-hmm. came in at $102 million, Quantum of Solace jumped all the way up to $230 million. It, Casino Royale was a huge hit. It, yeah, <clears throat> so you're going to throw a lot of money behind mm-hmm. that next one. And so that one was probably the worst of the Craig Craig movies. Yeah. It was just kind of a, a weird plot about like some type of like eco-terrorist that was really trying to control all the water in Bolivia or something like that. Um, I thought it was a cool direction that they did Bond in because you still got like the suave like Bond and everything. Um, Not a lot of tuxedo wearing for this Bond. He just wears a lot of like stuff he could be running around in. Some khakis and everything like that. T-shirt button up sometimes. It almost is like he's more in the field with his dress Mm -hmm. than he is. Yeah, exactly. It was that. That was cooler to see. Um, and I think kind of going off what I was saying is the girl in this Bond movie was like an ex-Columbian like agent or something like that that was trying to kill that uh, general or something, like one of the bad guys. And Bond never – she was the Bond girl for that movie. He ended up sleeping with like an assistant and ended up getting her killed. And uh, as Bond will tend to number. do, as Bond will We're tend to do, and she, got ended up, she ended up getting covered with oil. I don't know if she was dead before the oil. I think they actually found oil in her stomach. And that, oh, they did, because that's why he ends up killing the bad guy the same way. Oh, yeah, because he he makes him drink the motor oil, too. He he? leaves him with the quart of motor oil and leaves him in the middle of the desert. And then they end up finding him dead. Um, But, so yeah, so her, he never, like, because she apparently was, like, sexually assaulted by this general, too, when she was younger. Bond never ends up sleeping with her. I think he also, he still filmed the effects of the previous movie. So that's kind of cool, because they just work together and then end up, getting the bad guy and calling it good. And then I think at the end of that one is when you get the callback, when he goes back to that woman he loved and finds her boyfriend, the one that was blackmailing her uh-uh. and then doesn't kill him, but ends up turning him in. Certainly less fun with the romantic trysts of the bonds of yore. I think he, as far as like when you see other bonds, take a step back and mm-hmm. make worse films. He took the shortest step back. What I was kind of getting at with that, sorry I didn't 
finish that thought on it. What I was getting at is I think that that is how they kept that relevant in Bond. Because like the whole thing with like oh, Roger okay. Moore and everything, if this is making sense, the whole thing with like, if you look back at the like Roger Moore and Sean Connery, there was never really a reason other than him just being an asshole for just sleeping with these women and everything. And I'm not saying that's not one of like the, you know, fun things about Bond. It's like, oh, that's Bond. It's a lovable trait. I- exactly. What I'm saying though is you would look back at that and be like, man, that guy had to have like so much VD. He never wore a fucking condom. But like with Craig, you look at it and it's just kind of like he likes this girl he's sleeping with her. But he, because of his past, it almost explains why he's never going to let himself get attached. And so you're like, I can see why he's just very casual with these women. Not saying it's right or anything because he gets a lot of these girls killed. Yeah. But like it makes it believable. And then it also makes it understandable why he doesn't like force himself after after certain women like that girl in the second one he's just okay with them doing their thing and then like separating it's just a business yeah exactly um and then we get to skyfall which i just i watched that one i think last night and this is where you also get like the villains that come in to start being like xavier bardem and everything coming in to be to be silva um this is I I thought one cool aspect was it I think Judy Dench didn't really match up with that era of Bond. They yeah it was almost like the relationship was repaired with Daniel Craig because he starts to take things as seriously as she does. Yeah, and and what I mean by that is like I can see like with Q how they brought Q the same actor into like the Pierce Brosnan era and then he got taken over like the last movie by John Cleese who was R or some shit. When they started Daniel Craig, they gave him a new cue, and it was, like, this young kind of, like, tech guy, but he was, like, nerdy. Like, it'd be believable for someone who could, like, design gadgets and stuff. It fit the time. But, like, Judy Dench came in, coming over almost made it feel like it was still holding on to a little bit of Brosnan stuff. And they were good together and everything. I just think it's cool in this movie that you get to see Ray Fiennes step in at the very end to be M, and then be M for the next two movies, because I think he actually plays a really good M as well. I'm not saying Judy Dench doesn't. No, I'm she, just saying with Daniel Craig, I think M that M is a good version for him. I, yeah, she, she she was a great actor. She she did well in the movies, but sometimes it's just a chemistry issue that mm-hmm. you see kind of in a different light when you see somebody else. They're like, okay, she was good, but there there was more to flesh out between these two. And like the opening scene of Skyfall is is awesome. That has the motorbike chase and like across the Grand Bazaar. And mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, the fight on top of the train and everything. Um, they were a little bit more skeptical with this one. They dropped from two hundred and thirty million to two hundred million. So, okay, they had that's to cut what's going to happen after the second one didn't do as as well as they should. But they had to cut out one car scene. Yeah, <laughs> they had to cut out one chase. Well, actually, I think they probably did because a lot of the action for that last part of the movie all takes place at Skyfall. Yeah, and everything out in Scotland, but. Um, one of the cool things I thought they did with this movie is um, how they end up taking the agent that's with Bond at the beginning, the uh, chick. And you end up like finding out she ends up becoming Money Penny because she finds that she's better about like the office stuff. Like, not the, I don't mean office stuff, like secretary <laughs> stuff. <laughs> she's better at like being the liaison between like M and like the agents because she is an agent or it was. And just, I don't think she enjoys going out there. And like Bond even mentions to her during the movie, he's like, some people just, it's not for everybody. And he's kind of saying it like joking with her and everything. But another thing too is this is where you get to see Bond like be a human. And like, you're like, oh, this dude's getting beat the fuck up. Because he goes, remember when he goes and takes the fitness test? 
and the guy's talking to him while he's trying to uh-huh. run on the treadmill. And then afterward, he's like, do you want to continue this later? He's like, yeah, let's continue this later. And as soon as the guys leave the room, he like collapses and he's just like, Jesus Christ. It's the first time they acknowledge that Bond ages in a, a normal way. Mm-hmm. Like all the rest of them get old and crusty and really bad mm-hmm. in fight scenes, but they never like make it obvious to like, yeah, this dude's old. No, but this the, is, the bad guys never f- have to lower their fighting skills <laughs> for fucking Bond. Yeah. Like, it, it's, he's fighting the same guy caliber of guys. It's just being harder on him. Yeah, but Daniel Craig, you can tell his his fight scenes become more labored. Mm-hmm. Everything starts to pile up on him more. But, yeah, so that ends up, Skyfall ends up being a huge, I think that one was a billion dollars that ended up making. I remember Skyfall was on the... Top of that for a long yeah, time. Yeah, Skyfall hit one point one billion. One point one. I think it was the highest grossing Bond movie ever, which makes sense. It was awesome. Adele sang the theme song. It was very good. Yeah. Um, and then we get Spectre, which the opening scene of fucking Spectre. If you haven't, I don't think you I've seen Spectre. Okay, I'm not going to walk through the whole thing, but basically, this is when he starts to dig in and find out that the people like Lashif, that Mister White guy, um, the guy he kills in the second one, are all connected to this organization called Spectre, and so he's starting to put it all together. And the opening scene, part of it involves, it's during uh, Day of the Dead. I, I don't know where, I think it might be Mexico City, and he's tracking yeah. this guy, and he's going to assassinate him. It's one long camera shot between him walking through the entire Day of the Dead parade in a mask. He's in a black, full black tuxedo with, like, skeleton on it, He's and he's holding hands with a woman that's wearing a mask, too. Huh. They go up into a hotel, follows them the entire time into the bedroom, she takes off his mask, goes to lay on the bed, and she's like, are you going somewhere? And he's already taken off the skeleton suit. He's like, I'll be back in a minute. Walks out the window, camera shot falls in the entire time, walks on top of rooftops for a while, and then goes to set up in a sniper position. And it's like a five-minute scene of just following him. It's so fucking cool. I know that huh. sounds like really geeky to think about, but just that you never see him. You knew that he had to do everything perfect. Yeah. Um, but he ends up finding this organization, and that's where you get um, – uh, Christoph Waltz comes okay. in and ends up this being the, the kid going back to when Bond was a kid, ends up being the son of the guy that took him in. And that's where you get Ernest, Ernest Stavro Blofeld, which Blofeld was also a villain, a key villain for a couple of uh, Connery's movies. Mm-hmm. But that's where you end up getting him now as part of this. And he's the leader of this organization that's been trying to make Bond's life miserable and everything. So that, that ended up being, I mean, it had some of the points were all right that uh, batista was in that one that was where really that was where batista okay. was like one of the henchmen and basically was like of kind of like an odd job without the gimmicky hat and shit but just like a beast but was really smart i think his name was mr hinks him and bond get into a car chase in spain that's pretty cool i gotta see this yeah one you're now. gonna need to watch this one and then uh daniel craig's last outing this is the no future plans for bond right now so this is the last we'll have a bond 2021 no time to die Plot was okay. Um, Bond ended up in Spectre. He actually, I think, ends up with wanting to settle down with a woman, and it ends up being like the daughter of someone he killed or something like that. Yeah. Um, he had like saved her, and she's like a neurosurgeon, so like she's definitely like not stupid. But this one was kind of a battle to get Craig to sign into, too, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think they had to make sure it was set up for him to be his last outing. They leave no doubt. And that always kind of hampers and hamstrings a, a writing crew. Not, I think not if we just lean into the fact that we think that they're different guys. 
Okay. Yeah, I guess that's true. It just seems like sort of the. I think they're going to have to acknowledge that now. He the shoving died. off point for the other ones just seemed like it was sort of like a mm-hmm. phoned in the the performance. Yeah, but Daniel Craig, I'm sure, was still good in this one. No, he was excellent, and I mean, the plot was actually kind of a cool concept for him to not be able to continue his bond. You find out that, and this leads back to him just being like a really flawed character that has no trust. He ends up with that girl that he ended the last movie with for a while. Um, he leaves her after thinking that she betrayed him for something like that was like a misunderstanding. She ended up being pregnant at the time. He didn't know about that. So this is like, this, yeah, this is like eight years later that he ends up and he finds out that she has a daughter and it's never really explicitly said that like it's his, but you know that it matches up. He, the kid looks, has all the features and he can kind of tell. So the bad guy basically is this guy that I can't remember what the connection is. He develops this way to assassinate people by basically he can code your DNA and inject you with like a virus that if you get close to the people that have the DNA, the virus is coded for, it'll kill them. Like you'll infect them. It'll kill them. So like, for instance, if I was injected with the virus and the virus was coded for your DNA, if we were right here in the same room where I touched you, just chemical warfare. Yes. And so what ends up happening and the reason that his bond spoiler alert, go watch the movie. If you haven't fucking seen it. Um, what ends up happening is Bond, this guy is like the ultimate torturer, injects Bond with the virus that has the DNA coded for his wife or his girlfriend and his daughter. Huh. And so before, and this is going to be sold off as a weapon or used to kill a bunch of people. So basically Bond. So his daughter's dead. No, if he gets near her. Oh, God. He can't go near them. He gets them off this island where all this shit's going on. Like it's a small island Alcatraz type dealio where this guy's making all of this shit in the lab and he basically goes in and sets off a beacon and has the airstrike come in and he's like just call it in and is in the explosion and everything that destroys this island so that's how Bond dies because he wouldn't be able to go next to like he I think he'd been shot or something like that but he also knew that the rest of his life he would never be able to basically after finding out that he has a daughter and that his love didn't betray him he would then have to spend his whole life away from them. So, yeah, that's you see what I meant by kind of on his own terms, it, like when it, I said that earlier. It was, and I feel like it sets up something that I kind of hope they can lean towards, like as a an option to go forward, not in the future, but like in the distant future, as far as with Bond. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I think that Craig overall. If we're saying that it was bravado for uh, Connery and then kind of happy-go-lucky for... Um, more. More. Lazenby was just a flash in the pan. Um, I wouldn't even say T-Dalt, He was in the pan. Yeah. <laughs> T-Dalt was... He was just kind of there. Brosnan feels Bond-y as far as everything that he did, and I think that's kind of what I remember him as. Daniel Craig Bronson just, Bronson started started so strong and then just like fizzled. It almost ruined his version of Bond. Like if you can just yeah. like think of him for maybe like if you just think Goldeneye man and you're like you couldn't have just made Goldeneye like three more movies. But no, but Brosnan was definitely like I don't know, he was the Bond for that time. Yeah, he was the perfect 90s Bond. Um I I think Daniel Craig is just like the most full character like you saw the most believable character in all aspects that he could really fight he really got injured 
he really had ish, a lot of shit he was going through and everything like that. And he was a really flawed character. You saw behind the curtain yeah. for him. Yeah, I would say flawed would probably be the best way to describe Daniel Craig. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just a a fantastic film. Film franchise. Yeah, it it has made so much money. The total franchise has generated over $7 billion globally, which is just insane. It's the fifth highest grossing film series ever. So, and uh, that's and that's saying something because this isn't like a Marvel franchise where they're no. coming out with a movie every year and it's current days where so many people are going. They're also taking into account that's seven billion. Think of movies back like in the you know seventies yeah. and stuff when these were getting made. These weren't like you know huge, huge, huge turnouts and everything. They were making good money for the time to keep from making them. But I mean that's and to keep going to have that longevity. Yeah, well, it's pretty nuts. And, and it's even. I mean. Live and Let Die in 73 has grossed $161 million globally. From a movie at that point in time in history, mm-hmm. that's a oh yeah a must-see movie for yeah. that time. So just incredible, just some of the, the other facts that go along with it. Um, I, like we've talked about, there's been 25 films to date with six different Bond actors, and there were 13 different directors. So like you were saying earlier, they were filming them in batches, but later on, it kind of became like a, not necessarily a hunt and peck, but it was like they were looking for a specific director per film. Yeah, look at it this way. When you got into Brosnan, they all had different directors. That's where you get a lot of makeup of that 13 different directors. Before that, that was, let's see. Oh, Sam Mendes did Skyfall Inspector, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight out of that 13 were all just during the Brosnan Craig age. So that's how many of those previous movies were all directed by the same people. You got away from kind of the boys club that they had. Um, Three Bond theme songs have won Academy Awards. Pretty cool for a franchise to win Academy Awards with just theme songs. And that kind of lends to the cachet of Bond that you have people like Paul McCartney. You have people like Adele that want to be the theme. Tina Turner. Yeah. Yeah, they want to be the theme for... Didn't Tina Turner sing GoldenEye? GoldenEye! Was she? I think that was Tina Turner. Excuse me, you just wanted your name to it. GoldenEye was such a good opening sequence, too. That song. Doom, 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 doom. Yeah, it was pretty good. I kind of forgot about that one. Um, Bond, James Bond, is a catchphrase that's been recognized as the American Film Institute is the 22nd greatest quote in cinema history. I feel like that's it's sort of like a niche weird fact, mm-hmm. but with all the movies that have been made, I mean that's you're right there, Michael Scarn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're getting ripped off by The Office, and it's it's just great. Um, getting into the Bond women, so the Bond girls, uh, six Bond girls have been featured in Playboy twenty seven times. So I would say that that's a pretty all-star roster mm-hmm. that you're in Playboy. Do you think that's that what much. happens is you star in the Bond movie and then there's just a the Playboy flight was at the airport? Like, oh, all yeah. right, it's time for you to go. Yeah, We're going to time this with the release of the movie. You're going to end up making a lot of money. You're right. just you're a sex symbol at that point. Yeah. It's so weird that so many of them like were dubbed the early ones with like people that weren't in their language and everything just because they didn't fucking speak English. You, you're hot. Can mm-hmm. you say this? No, that's fine. We'll just dub you yeah, over. We'll figure out someone that can't say. We got a lot of people that can talk. <laughs> so over the course of the 25 films, driven 24 different cars. Makes sense. You're never going to keep the old uh, 
through one movie, you might have kept the same one. Uh, yeah, and that's just kind of like the main cars that were for it. There were other chases where he was in taxis and shit like that. Mm-hmm. But as far as the stuff that he drove that were like the main ones, it, 24 different cars over 25 films. I mean, that's that's awesome. I think... I don't know if this is the right one, but I think the one where he has the same car in it is between Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace because he gets... It was a DB12, wasn't it? It it is, but remember it rolls? Yeah. It flips. Oh, by the way, did you know that's the most times in uh, cinema history that they've got a car to rotate? It holds the record for most amount of rolls. Really? Yeah. And the, and huh. it, the first time they did it, it landed on its wheels. Just that was the first take that they did it. Now, uh, yes. They got it on the first, well, they would have had to have probably gotten it on the first yes, take. Yes, they had but... three of them, I think, that they could use. And it had <sighs> a pneumatic God. thing in the back that punched the ground, and that's how it flipped and did that stuff. <sighs> but I think what happened is, at so that one gets destroyed, but it, he gets the same car. In the next, he's driving the same car in the next movie, like a replacement for it. And he has the guy in the trunk when he's doing the car chase at the very beginning, which is a fucking excellent car chase in, in that that one, too. Yeah, so great car longevity. He had just a mainly Aston Martin, but his Rolodex of cars is fantastic. The fact that the DB5, that's the epitome of the Bond vehicle, appeared kind of in all of the, got to appear in all of them. I don't know if he drove that one at all in the Timothy Dalton side, but I know I think more might've driven it once or twice. You just seeing the evolution of bond. You kind of see the evolution of Aston Martin. All the lines are still there and the, just the beauty of the car's design is still there, but you can see the changes over time. It's kind of like a perfect, I don't know. I'm going to use a word that I don't know if it's the right word, but like an allegory for bond. Yeah. It just it still is a little bit of a tie to the past. Yeah, I liked how in Casino Royale you saw him how he won the car, mm-hmm. and then he apparently just shipped it back to like England to Q, and he was like, "Can you just put some guns in this? Yeah, can and we make he, this cooler? Yeah." Um, okay, I didn't know I asked you about this. So Pierce Brosnan killed the most people with 135. George Lazenby killed the least with how many? Uh, five. Five. Well, <laughs> no. he only got the one movie, so yeah, I think but, that's a little unfair. Uh, five still seems light. Okay, I movie. explained to you why. I don't feel like this is fair because I told you as soon as the bras in there hit, <laughs> they just like everyone was using machine guns and there was like no he I was counting when he was in the tank, just trying to count how many people he ran over in cars. And then they would have to flash back to the scene real quick and show someone like jumping out of like an already smashed car. I'm like, God damn it. He, yeah, he, he was a mass effect. I mean, the dude just absolutely um, was cool. As far as the way that he killed people. He killed people in mass and it was in numbers. And it goes back to exactly like what you were talking about. You go from a Walter PPK to a machine gun, you're you're going to win. Like, it, that's going to change that. And Lazenby, like we say, he had one movie. He was Her Majesty's Secret Service, so he was like a British. So who was who was after Lazenby? Uh, I just saw the, the high and the low okay. there. I would I guess just, Dalton then. Probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he would probably be. Roger Moore would probably have to be second yeah and then i would think because i don't think connery really just like full-on went like <laughs> brosnan murder spree well in his first movie he had a, a woman's gun so that's true who's he killing with that so in total bond encounters 104 villains yeah dude that's what if you have 27 or 25 films 
you're encountering just like those are probably villains that like are recognized as villains because if mm-hmm. you're counting like the guys chasing him down the goddamn ski slope <laughs> when there's like 20 guys after him that's not going to be someone here you're counting these are probably like named villains yeah you're not getting the uh these are all people that have credits at the end of the movie they're mm-hmm. not just like henchman one henchman two um james bond like we said earlier he's only married one time in one movie and it was lazenby and Her Majesty's Secret Service, and just like we were talking about before, it's it was an easy end, I think, if the theory holds up. This just occurred to me. Is Okay, so you said in Her Majesty's Secret Service, she gets killed in the end? Uh-huh. Not at their wedding, right? Uh, No, I think they're driving away, and it's a car scene when she gets shot in the car. Away from their wedding? I believe so. Okay. Is this where MacGruber gets the fact <laughs> <laughs> that Cunt kills... <laughs> MacGruber's wife at their wedding. Uh, yeah. I, I like, think that MacGruber could probably get some... I never saw Bond do the celery trick, but... <laughs> we don't know that he didn't, though. That's true. That was something that it was a mar- would... It was uh, two olives on a stick. <laughs> Q <laughs> Q didn't tell us about that. <laughs> okay, so the other <laughs> thing like, I asked... He's like, hey, we need to hide this. He's like, where? He's like, uh, are you familiar with the term prison wallet? <laughs> All right, so I asked you about this one. So what was the total Bond body count as far as women he was with? This, uh, I put a lot of research into this because I felt like it was necessary. Um, So this is, before we preface this, or to preface this, one of the best things that I found in doing this research is watching and listening to British people talk about James Bond. Mm-hmm. And when I say British people, I just mean British men. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd never heard a British woman talk about it or anything like that. But I don't know if there's anybody that we have that we claim in America the way that Brits claim James Bond. Like they, they wax. Po- I was thinking of like athletes, but there's no athlete that's just universally loved. Mm-hmm. And there's no really star. It's, it's John Wayne, but John Wayne was very like he was. I'm saying that's the only comparable one I can think of. I'm not even saying that that's a good one for on our side because yeah. then that's just the stereotypical you know American cowboy and everything like that. I just don't think we have someone who like epitomizes like Britishness. A character like this that yep. is so like everybody knows about. Ours might be like George Washington, maybe he was British. <laughs> <But> <laughs> he, like part Brit- he was British for a while. Uh, just d- yeah, I, I guess yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he was a an expat, but there were articles about James Bond sex body counts where they actually did like interviews with actual doctors, mm-hmm. like sexual doctors, to talk about like. There were articles that rated every Bond's chances of having a venereal disease. Oh, there was not a condom in sight. <laughs> just... I don't see how condoms were not standard issue by Q Branch <laughs> for Bond. Instead of like, here is your wrist dot launcher and Bond your box, your extra large box of condoms. <laughs> Instead of Magnums, then they just sit there and laugh at each other. It's like, ha, 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 ha. Instead of Magnums, I don't use those. They're called Golden Eyes. <laughs> so, without further ado, uh, the body count. Roger Moore, it just makes sense. Roger Moore comes in, clocks in at 19 women. 19 women. I wonder what the average age on that was. Not, not, not It's lot. between 20 and 25. Yeah. Yeah, they were all very young women, and he, like you said earlier, he just kept I'll give it older. up to 30. I'll give it up maybe 30 years old, but 
Yeah, Roger Moore at that point, he was like somebody's peepaw. <laughs> <laughs> he was still just smashing. Grandpa! Smashing Shut the fuck up, Grandpa. You're not a secret agent. <laughs> uh, the second old to make the list, of course, this is just film longevity, I'm sure. Uh, Connery bagged 15 women. Okay. Which seems, you know, that's definitely a high risk of sexual diseases. Connery, okay, so Moore and Connery are tied for movies, which explains. I'm just trying to think. So Roger Moore had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, they're only tied if you count Never Say Never Again. If you don't count that, then Roger Moore has one more movie. I'm just trying to figure out. So seven. So he had two a little over two per movie and more had yeah, a little over two per movie more had. Yeah. 19. So, okay. Almost. Yeah. Two and a half per movie. Uh, and Brosnan, he, he didn't have the amount of movies, but he still put up a respectable 10. I mean, back in 10 broads and four movies. Again, that's, that's 2.5. There might be a formula to this <laughs> in which they have to average, average? just this many women. What was Craig at? Uh, yeah, Craig comes in third to last at seven. So I mean, that's a that was definitely a part of the character change, I think, because because five, he had seven and five. That's not bad. He had the the love interest and kind of the jaded feelings towards relationships, which definitely makes sense to lend to seven. He knocked out two in the first movie between the one of the terrorist wives' wives in classic Bond fashion, and she ended up dead. <laughs> I feel like that's that should just be the byline after anything she and he slept with her and she ended up dead. Yeah, we got numbers for that too. Um, second to last, T. Dalt comes in with four, so he's kind of right in on aggregate there. Right, two movies, four women. Lazenby overachieved and somehow was the only one to get married, but he ended up with three in one movie. So he might have the. I think that actually the highest for one movie was more. And it might have been of you to a kill. He had four in one movie. He had the top in, of of all the bonds in one movie. I, it could have been Connery. Seems like he would be more of the poon hound, but Roger Moore is definitely an acceptable answer to that too. So, uh, by the math, that's fifty eight women, and out of that fifty eight women, sixteen of those women died. <laughs> so uh, a hefty portion of those fifty eight women, sixteen of them ended up dying. So he. They, they, they were all the first one. Oh, they were all the henchmen's women. Yeah. I'm not saying that's okay. <laughs> no, no. Just 22% were drunk. Yeah. 12 of these women were drunk. Okay. I don't know how you assume that from a film. Like if it's just like drank alcohol on, on screen beforehand or what, but that seems like a, a respectable amount. I mean, I don't think consent was really the issue with Mr. Bond at that point. I don't so think Mr. Bond asked for air, consent. But. Oh, so if you had to build your perfect Bond. Oh, man, I, I really enjoyed this. So actor, like we talked about, Pierce, he just, he's, he was my first Bond. He was the first thing that I saw, so he's the first thing that I know. Um... Carr was definitely going to be the DBS, the 2006, the Aston Martin. Bond Girls, Holly Goodhead, just because Moonraker and just the whole absurdity. That that one line kind of sealed it for me. It was like a woman. It just, it, it, <laughs> a it, woman. It did it for me. 
Uh, the villain, definitely Christopher Walken, just because Christopher Walken is a Bond villain is something that everybody needs to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Live and Let Die for the song's easy, and the worst thing that they ever did, like we talked about, I don't even need to say it again, but it's the, the Vanish Vanquish. All right, let me see your categories real quick. All right, I got to go actor. I'm going Daniel Craig. Car, I'm going to go with the DB5, but I'm going to go with the DB5 that he drives in Skyfall because I think that's the one that's closest to the original Sean Connery one. Respectable. Yeah, it's it's a nod to history. It's these weird little, he's a different person, but it's still him. All right, just tell me the categories. Sorry, I forgot to write them down. Oh, because it timed out. Uh, car was that. What about the best gadget? What did you say was the best gadget? The Lotus, the Spear, or oh, the okay. Esprit. Ooh. Having a car turn into a submarine. No, of course. I'm not going to pick that one. Awesome. That one's awesome, though. I'm just trying to think of a very ridiculous one. Oh. What was one that he could only use in a certain situation? Probably the skis. <laughs> skis are very niche. Are you talking about gadget on the car or just gadget in general? I would say gadget, just everything, every kind of extra that he had. That's fucking hard, man. Okay. I like the, in GoldenEye, I like the watch that he's able to shoot the laser and weld out yes, the that's section a good of the one. floorboard. Because I also good. have this affinity. You had to do that in the game uh-huh. and you had to hit the gray straps. Yeah. And it was always like weird to try to hit him. All right. Next one. Uh, after gadget, girl. Bond girl, I might be Halle Berry for me. Yeah, she's she's definitely yeah right up there. That's one A for sure. Villain. Oh, I might have to go with like Doctor Kananga. Just how ridiculous it was. Yeah, I it, besides Zorin, I would probably say Goldfinger would be second. Uh, but Zorin is a really oh, fuck. He's absurd. Yeah. Fuck, Zorn is a really good one. Yeah, and then maybe Xavier Bardem. Bardem was uh Silva. He was the one that was like in um Spec or in Skyfall. The one that was trying to kill him. Yeah, he was a, a yeah. very good good villain too. Song. View to a, I have view to a kill on my phone. <laughs> you listen to that? Yes. But I'm just now thinking of Goldeneye. I'll go view to a kill, but Goldeneye is a fucking great song. Yeah, either way. I mean, they're, like you said, these, I, I don't know which one's exactly won the Academy Awards besides Live and Let Die, but I'm sure it was one of those. And then to finish up the, the craziest plot, the, the craziest scene, chase, idea... It was the ski chase in um, A View to a Kill because he is like, it just starts in like what looks like fucking Antarctica and (laughs) Bond is like in full snow gear. And then like on the other side of the ridge, it's just a bunch of fucking Soviet soldiers. It doesn't explain what the hell's going on. He finds an agent buried in snow and takes like a microchip off of him. And then it's this huge ski chase where you can obviously tell it never gets close enough to Roger Moore. It's like, they even said like he never even (laughs) stepped foot, like where they were filming this. He filmed all of his like close up shots, like at the studio. (laughs) 
this huge ski chase. He ends up like getting behind this snowmobile and knocking the guy off and getting on the snowmobile. And then the snowmobile gets blown up and he lands and the ski from the snowmobile lands next to him. And you see him get this look on his face and he invents snowboarding comes off a pipe, knocks guy, two guys guns out of their hands with the ski and then snowboards down the mountain, goes over a little fro- like a little pond yeah. and two of the Soviet guys crashed into it. And then that's the one where he ends up uh, getting into the iceberg shaped Oh yeah, the submarine where the hatch has the British flag on it, and then it's the woman in there, and she's not like a fucking specialist. She's wearing like a <laughs> fucking tracksuit, and she's just like, "Oh, you're late, James." That I, I would say, yeah, that that fits in really well with the absurdity. Yes. So yeah, just just to wind down, kind of the future of it. I mean, where uh, we hear all the buzz all the time, and I don't even know. I mean. I don't know if anybody really has a problem with it anymore. Just the thought of where the next bond goes. And I don't, I don't have a preference. I just want the right person. It has to be someone that I look at in that role. And I'll look at that person and just be like, can that person pull off like the look, how I think maybe bond should kind of sound like, or do they have that like accent that bond has, which all of them do. Obviously they have to have somewhat, some variation of it. Well, it's, it's like what you said before. I don't, think that an American would be the right person to put 100% on. no. It, it has to be somebody no. that has yes. a natural... And I don't even have, like, a preference on, like, the look. I'm just, like, if I'm looking at you and you look like you're able to, like, perform the stuff that you're doing and your character is doing, fantastic. Like, if they can find... They missed the train on Idris... Idris Alba. Idris Alba. Um, time frame is gone because they'd maybe get two movies out of him before he got to the point where he's not a believable age for bond they yeah. they missed their time frame on it um if they can find like another maybe like 30 35 year old just some 35 year old hot brit i think he yeah. it has to be somebody with some sex appeal for mm-hmm. sure is daniel craig's hot but he's hot in like a a mechanic sort of way like he's he's hot in a dirty way you need somebody I he's feel got like, some lines on his face and yeah. everything he's not like a model hot he's just like that's a gruff motherfucker and you definitely have a chance in switching over to go back to kind of more of the traditionally handsome mm-hmm. like bond style yeah so i think anybody that could go there um something interesting that i didn't know after you brought it up but when i was talking about in kind of the distant future i I don't want to sound, this is, I don't really know how to say it, but I don't think you could ever really fit Bond into a female role just because of the stereotype and the archetype of the character. Yeah, in, but, in I, No Time to Die, because Bond was officially retired mm-hmm. in that, there was another 007, and 007 got assigned to let's see i can't remember what her name was i'm uh, the actor is like uh, actress those you just do actor now oh the old, you can just actor really uh, yeah lashana lynch as nomi she's the new 007 she was assigned the 007 number so i i think that might have been them dipping their toes to find out if that character how that character tested and everything like that I'm in no way saying that, like, there are a bunch of examples of, like, women secret agent, like, Salt. Um, 
I've got back. I like, can't like name a bunch of them, but there's a bunch of se- like look at the Black Widow franchise. I know that's technically yeah. not a secret agent and everything, but like it's a popular character. So it's not saying that women can't handle action roles. What I'm saying is like make make one for that a woman and everything uh, and like that. A, a Bond adjacent for a female, I feel like, would be a movie that I would go see ten times out of ten as well. Exactly. Like it, don't don't try to just like shoehorn something in because like make it its own thing. Like, why would you say, because then everyone is, because it's bond, everyone is comparing it to previous Mm -hmm. bonds. So you're automatically going to have an issue. I have no, I don't give a shit like what race bond is or anything like that. If you could find a woman that would make a believable bond and then I could believe can put herself into these action situations and all that kind of stuff. That's why I like Daniel Craig so much that I can actually kind of believe that he could be that, that person. Yeah. But Put anyone in that role. I think Ildris Elba would have been awesome in that role. I'm sure there's a bunch of other people that could line up. Um, I'm just hoping they're going to put out something sooner rather than later. Yeah, they kind of need to nail down somebody pretty soon because if they don't nail down somebody soon, we're looking at like 2026, 2028. Yeah. Like a long time out. But when you brought up the, the daughter, if we could get something like 10 years out, no. No? You have wouldn't her, want that? Have her be... Not not Bond as 007, but as like the adjacent like female version no. of an MI6. No. no? All, the only reason I'm saying that is because in that world, Bond is not like ridiculous and everything to the point where her mother would ever allow her to ever do anything like that or like would keep her away from that life as much as possible. You don't think it's just ingrained in her DNA? No, no. Okay. I would not feel good about that. I would feel about as good about that as if they did a bond series, like you were saying earlier. I can't do it. I, I, I'm not going to be weekly thing. I'm not even shitting you. I will not be surprised if there is some type of bond adjacent series that's called like double O's. In the next few years, there's enough fucking streaming services out buying rights for all this kind of stuff that if they did a spinoff of what other double O missions are and like other double O agents and then just have cursory mentions of like 007 or something like this guy's on like Bond's on mission or something like that, that will be your I'm putting it down right now. We can go back and listen to this. Within two to three years, we will have a streaming series like called Double O's. Or something like that. It's gross. I don't like that. Or license licensed to kill or some shit. I I think that it's such a there could be bond fatigue with that, and that's it's kind of like getting excited for like the um, buddy. This is the, the world this is the classic. British version of comics, man. Yeah. This is what this is kind of, and I'm not saying they don't have other stuff, but I feel like this is like British, you know, England's answer to superheroes. And, and he is. It's a great character. I just feel like yeah. the overexposure is not. No, no one's concerned about that. I am. I no, no, no. You know, I'm saying people in positions to do this are not concerned with overexposure. They can get a season or two out of it. Just and to just cash in. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. This has been a long one, but it's been fun as shit. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. Bond is just a. He's a fun guy. He's. He's a guy's guy to the fullest extent of it, but he's, I mean, to be the the fifth largest franchise for films is, it's impressive. It's it's doing something entertaining. Yeah, I think he flies under the radar. I think in the world of superheroes, when a new Bond one comes out, it's kind of like, oh, it's something different. It's it's a palate cleanser almost. It's like, let's see someone actually, like, get beat the fuck up when they get shot at (laughs) and everything. Yeah. 
All right, guys. Well, thanks again for uh, joining us. We'll see you next time. Peace. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us for another episode. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe and like button. Follow us. If you didn't like what you heard, still hit that anyway, because we'll probably cover something in the future that you do like. Um, Please follow us on our social media. Adam, hit him with it. Uh, Our Instagram is historically high pod, historically high pod. And we are on Twitter at historically high. That's historically H.I. All right. And if you guys want to send in any feedback, suggestions, hit us up on those two, or you can even do it on Gmail. It's historically high podcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again. Peace.